Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the long-running, award-winning, epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. I'm David Mizajewski, also known as Thornbreak on the ElfQuest forums. Joining me is my friend and fellow ElfQuest uber geek, Ryan Brown. Ryan's our editor and producer, working the magic to put this podcast together. After a slightly longer than usual hiatus between episodes, um, Ryan and I are back to talk about issue number 12 of The Final Quest. So, Ryan, what's been going on? Yeah, uh, well, I can't believe it that we're halfway through the series at this point. Yeah, it's uh, kind of... It's amazing. Yeah, kind of mind-blowing, actually. Time yeah, flies. Yeah, it's only 12 more issues to go before it's all, all said and done. But uh, this issue was pretty mind-blowing. I think yeah. we can all agree on that. <laughs> I, I, yeah, combined with, you know, the, the ending of issue 11 and, uh, and then, you know, sort of the, well, everything in issue 12. So, uh, and, and with that in mind, I'm just going to give a disclaimer. In order to discuss all of this, I have an entire bottle of wine sitting next to me, next <laughs> to my computer. So <laughs> I've already had a glass. So we'll see, you know, how far I get into it, depending on how intense our discussion gets. But right. um, <laughs> <laughs> I have tea, so I'll, I guess I'll, I'll, keep, uh, I'll keep a handle on things to make sure we don't go off the rails. Okay, that sounds good. So uh, before we start talking about the specifics of the issue, um, as far as you know, just sort of news or announcements go. Um, really, the only thing on my list is that it's December, and we should be expecting the first of the ElfQuest uh, Kickstarter books to come out, which would be the Art of ElfQuest. Mm -hmm. um, and so I haven't. Um, I know that Flesk Publications just sent out their um, their email asking for everybody to verify their address mm -hmm. so that they can ship the books. So I don't have any other info than that, but. Um, it's that's pretty exciting. I think I saw somewhere that it's um, scheduled to be released on the 22nd, if I'm not okay. mistaken. Um, so if that's the case, hopefully everybody gets them uh, just in time for Christmas. Uh, yeah. But we'll we'll see what happens with that. But uh, yeah, it's good news because it's uh, a, an excellent uh, Christmas gift, right? So. Totally. Yeah. And and you know, I mean, it's. You know, if it doesn't show up before Christmas, hopefully by the beginning of the new year, you'll get it. But if you are one of the folks that has pledged for the Kickstarter, definitely go check your email. If, and if you haven't already, make sure you respond to the Kickstarter questionnaire from Fles because that's how they're going to know where your, uh, you know, what your address is. And they'll do that for each of the books if you ordered more than one because that's, you know, people move and since they're coming out several months apart, they want to make sure that they have all the, the most updated info. So make mm -hmm. sure you go check that if you haven't already. Great. Any other bits of news or things that uh, that you want to talk about before we dive into the issue? Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Nope. All right, cool. Yeah, I all right. I'm ready to uh, jump in. <laughs> all right, so you and I really haven't talked or even Facebook much since 
this issue came out or even since the last um, the last podcast episode. So yeah. I my 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 first question mm-hmm. is now that we know and <laughs> yeah. by we know I'm saying that with air quotes and capital letters. Yeah. The royal um, we. Course, yeah, and I'm, and I'm of course referring to Cutter and Tamain and their connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I am dying to know what you think about this since you know, I know you've had a, a, a little um, trepidation or suspicion about Tamain and her motives and wondering if there was something uh, I don't know. Yeah, nefarious going on. And so now that we've heard literally from her mm-hmm. what the situation is, I, 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 what do you think about all this? Well, I, it seems pretty clear to me at this point that uh, she doesn't have any sort of malevolent overarching plan. Um, I could be mistaken, though. Uh, we'll see, but, um, uh, as far as like the, the revelation itself, um, I, I feel like I'm on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I have mixed feelings about it. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I'm on the one hand, I'm, um, I was shocked and surprised and blown away. On the other hand, I'm kind of, um, wondering what this all means for the the entirety of ElfQuest and mm-hmm. uh, you know how this is going to play out and um I mean I have faith in Wendy and Richard but to say that I'm like uh nervous about whether or not it's going to work uh mm-hmm. yeah uh, I mean I I can't do much except wait and see right so yeah and 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 you know I think that's totally okay um, you know, since the issue came out, there's been a ton of discussion going on about the events. And mm-hmm. one of the things that, that, you know, I've been, one of the, one of the things that I concluded pretty quickly was that, you know what, this isn't going to work for everybody, right? It's not going to be, uh, the, 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 the plot development that fits with what people were expecting or, or frankly, what they wanted mm-hmm. for you know for the overarching thing of you know story of ElfQuest, and and I thought about that a little bit, and really what I concluded was that you know what that's totally okay, you know, and I Absolutely. think Wendy and Richard would would probably agree that you know they're telling the story right, they're telling the story that they want to tell in the way that they want to tell it, which is frankly the only way that I ever want it to be, and you know what it might not it might not work for everybody, and as as challenging as that might be for fans, um, you know what? If you don't like it, that's okay. Um, and I don't know what else to really tell you, but you know, I mean, I, I just I think it's important to acknowledge that um, you know stories change and grow. And, and one of the things that I had said in one of the threads on Facebook is that you know what? I I don't actually you know I don't read ElfQuest personally because it's a you know safe and predictable story. I read it because I never really know what's going to happen. And sometimes it's it's a challenge to what my expectations were, and it makes me think, and all of those great things. And so, all of that said, I think what you you know your conclusion is spot on. Is is I'm I'm on this journey for the long haul. I want to see where it goes. I'm not going to make any kind of snap judgments. And I also know, having been reading ElfQuest for what thirty plus years at this point, is I know that you know not to have a knee jerk reaction because so many plot lines and stories and developments in the past, I've kind of been like, wait, what, what's going on? And then once you get the full story and you put it all into perspective and then you read it a few times, 
and you let it sink in, I personally find that that actually has a, a much bigger impact than my first initial reading in terms of my appreciation of it and my ability to kind of connect dots with the bigger narrative and all that kind of stuff. But um, have but yeah, you no, have you seen the Star Wars prequels? I have. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, since you brought it up, I not to go on a tangent, but I think that's a perfect example. You know, I mean, there were some, in my opinion, really awful things about those movies. And dun, 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 I think there's some really great things about those movies. Yeah, right. And I think you could say the same exact things about the original three Star Wars movies, you know? And so, um, you know, on the eve of the the brand new Star Wars movie coming out, I think it's it's a perfect analogy. I mean, you know, fans build up these expectations. So much of it is based not on the actual, I don't know, quality of the work, but what we are bringing to it. You know, I mean, I think with the prequels, so many people hated them because they saw them when they were in their 20s and not when they were eight years old, like they saw the original ones. Right. And in fact, I just had a conversation with a friend who has two kids, um, uh, I, I want to say they're like uh, 11 and maybe seven mm-hmm. and they're huge Star Wars fans. And guess what? They love the prequels. Well, they, 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 their bread and butter for Star Wars is the Clone Wars and the Rebels cartoons okay. and, and the prequel trilogy. And you know what? They think that the, the original three Star Wars movies are kind of weird. And that's a quote from their mom. They don't really get them. They don't relate to them. And so, you know, I think it's the same with ElfQuest. I mean, so many of us are long-term fans and we do, we build up expectations and we build up our own ideas of what things are supposed to be. And sometimes Wendy and Richard shake, shake that up like a snow globe. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's, it's disconcerting. It's unsettling for some people. Um, Well, thankfully there's no Jar Jar equivalent in ElfQuest. So we don't know. No, <laughs> um, but this was definitely uh, like this one aspect of the plot line is, I think, the most um, uh, game changing event ever to happen in ElfQuest. I'll put that I'll put the revelation that Tumaine and Cutter literally are the same being, you know, two two facets of the same soul that somehow divided. I'll put that in the uh, right next to the revelation that the high ones were actually spacefaring aliens. Okay. Yeah. I I, think, I would say they're, yeah, you're right. They're probably equivalent as far as, you know, how they change the story and yeah, the exactly, impact yeah. that they have. Yeah, definitely. And, and just final thought on what, what I was saying a second ago is that from what I can see as far as fan reaction goes, mm-hmm. Yeah, there are there are a few people that have expressed, you know, oh my god, I can't believe you did this. But there are as many, if not more, people that are loving it, whose minds are blown, who are you know sort of drooling to figure out what the next step is. So, and you know what? Again, that's I think that's all good. You know, I mean, if you're telling a good story, it's you're going to have both sides of those reactions. And again, I think Wendy and Richard, being the consummate you know, veteran professionals of storytelling in comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, expect that and they're okay with it. So, so how do you feel about it? So um, I'm going to put you on the spot now. Yeah. Um, I also had some trepidation, um, you know, re- again, starting with reading the last issue and then finally getting more insight into it, this issue. Um, and I, and I, and, and it has a lot to do with what I was just saying. I think a lot of that was my own 
sort of like what I was bringing to it, right? So what I in my in my brain sort of thought El what ElfQuest was and the rules of ElfQuest and things like that. Um, and so I, you know, once I've now let it sink in, I'm like, I'm totally along for the ride. And I'll tell you one of the things that that helped me do that. That and and that is the well, let me just open my issue here so I can reference the page. Um, as part of the the pages that were releases Dark Horse as part of the preview, but um, it would be the second and third pages of the issue where, you know, again, Tamane is explaining to Cutter what exactly went down with her, her soul splitting. And we're seeing a scene from Wolf Rider. We're seeing a scene from Kings of the Broken Wheel. We're seeing a scene from the original quest mm -hmm. that touches on this idea of spirit being you know, again, like Rayek says, sort of like a flame, like all spirits, one spirit, there's, it's not a physical thing, so they can blend, they can split, but they're still the same thing. Mm -hmm. The And it just made me realize that whether or not this particular plot point was, I don't know when Wendy and Richard came up with this, um, if it was back in the 90s when they first plotted out the details of Final Quest, or if it was before that or whatever, but... Well, I think Wendy said that she's had this plan since the very beginning and i seem to recall her saying uh before this issue came out that it she had been waiting 37 years uh to, to tell the to story tell yeah. the story so that would Im imply that this was planned from the very start so right right and so so that is the thing that really kind of I was like, wait, I, I don't, I don't know if I can wrap my mind around this. But when I read these first few pages of this issue, it kind of was like, okay, so holy crap, right? There's mm -hmm. they, like, it, it, if that is indeed the case, I mean, they have been sitting on this for decades yeah. and have been dropping little subtle hints or nods to this idea of, you know, all spirit being one spirit and um, I, I can't even imagine what that must have been like for them to have known this for so long and not been, you know, obviously not, not been able to, they wouldn't want to spoil it, but, um, it directly come out and say, yeah, and, and going on. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but seeing, seeing those specific examples, I mean, I'll tell you what, I mean, mostly it was the scene from, um, from Wolf Rider where, you know, it's 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 a redrawing of the scene where Bearclaw and Joyleaf recognize, and Joyleaf's comment is, um, "We've made a, a cub, beloved, who is all we are." Dot dot dot, and more. You know, it's like she intuitively could sense that Cutter was more, and a the fact that again that that story came out back in what like ninety eight or something. Yeah. Um, and they Wendy and Richard clearly knew exactly what they were doing at that point, but B. And this is the other thing that I think is important to kind of think about when we're reading and absorbing and reacting to all this is that it, it, what that scene really kind of tells me or, or makes me think about is the fact that this is like, well, well, Final Quest as a whole, I've come to realize is, is not your average elf quest tale. It's definitely taking things into a much bigger kind of epic mythological maybe even symbolic place yeah than... it's become very philosophical and yes uh, dealing with really like uh, esoteric and metaphysical concepts that haven't really been touched upon or if they have been it's been very subtly and 
um, not to this extent. Totally. That's exactly what, what, where I was going with that. And I think that like this idea that cutter is sort of something more really kind of feeds into this, this concept of sort of the mythological hero and the archetype. And, you know, these archetypes have something special about them, something that, that makes them different, that leads them that, you know, maybe even drives them to do the things that they do. And I think that is really what's going on here, that that this is what makes Cutter, and I think it says it somewhere in this issue too, um, something to that effect, like this is what this thing, you know, this this direct connection to the the origins, right? Like to, mm-hmm. to the equivalent in ElfQuest of the gods. Yeah. Um, the, you know, it, it, it gives him something different that in a way explains why he is so different than all the other elves. Well, you know, you, you mentioned gods, and uh, I mean, this is even touching upon, like, religious ideas now. Um, I yeah. saw somebody made the observation on Facebook, and uh, Wendy responded to what this person said, where she said that she hadn't intended this, but that it's probably, on some subconscious level, she's sort of uh, maybe connecting with an archetypal idea, or this primal idea of, like, a holy trinity, almost, which is right. sort of represented, right, where you have, like, this, the maybe the mother, the son, and the holy ghost, right, right, where you, you've got, like, this goddess figure, and then her her son essentially or whatever you want to call it like cutter and the shared spirit between them so it's almost like a a holy trinity of sorts right Uh, yeah so there's a sort of an analogy there between and it you know it's like this really sort of ancient idea so right yeah we're getting into really um like deeper ideas philosophical ideas but it's not too heavy to the point where you know you feel um overwhelmed by it or like you're getting a some sort of uh it doesn't feel like you're at church being right like listening to liturgy or anything right <laughs> totally yeah and and, and I, i'm so glad you said that because think about how hard that is especially in a comic book to to get that right balance of of telling a story that is, is, you know, still entertaining and still visual and still has an adventure and fantasy component to it, but touching on some of these sort of bigger, again, mythological issues, um, you know, huge archetypes and just these big ideas of like what it means to be you. I mean, that's really the the crux of what Cutter is freaking out about. Well, yeah. And on, on that note, I mean, part of my, hesitation or trepidation with this story point is that it feels in some way like I don't know who Cutter is anymore and um I in a way I I wonder like how this affects the character in reading him um as a as a reader like it does this sort of take something away from who Cutter is because in some respect he isn't his own full being. Well, I, do you know what I'm saying? It seems, ab- ab- yeah. Absolutely. Like if you could see me, I'm like, I'm shaking my hands here because that, like that is exactly it. Like that is exactly what Cutter, the character is dealing with. That's a, the exact question that he's asking himself. And the fact that that is your reaction and yeah. so many of the rest of ours, re- you know, readers reactions is like, it's so brilliant to me 
because we are we are actually experiencing the same exact feelings and emotions and turmoil that the character is for the exact same reasons, right? That's really so, interesting. I hadn't really thought of it like that. I mean, again, like just step back out out of the story mm-hmm. and into the bigger picture of like the storytelling. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty freaking amazing that that they have figured out a way to suck us all in and 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 literally be feeling the same exact thing that they're that the that their character is feeling in the moment that they're telling the story. That I have to say probably is the first time in all of ElfQuest that I've felt th- that kind of experience so viscerally. Because again, we're all right there with Cutter. We're like, what the frick is going on? Right? It's like I, my mind is blown. Like who who is Cutter? What does that mean? Does this change everything? Like, how do I interpret everything that has gone before now that I know this information? So this and, this is life imitating art then. If yeah. I as the reader am feeling what the character is experiencing. Yeah, I mean that's a way to think about it, right? I mean, and and of course now my wheels are spinning because I didn't think about those exact words or interpretation of that. But um yeah. Uh, or, you know, or or it could go the other way too. I mean, art imitating life. It, I mean this could be something that Wendy and Richard maybe have experienced themselves and put it into their art in the form of ElfQuest, and now we're all reacting to it. I don't know. I mean, yeah, again, well, I-, I mean, part of the, part of this is I'm wondering now, like, what are they trying to say through this story? And I don't think we're ever, we're going to know that fully or have a full grasp on that until the story is complete. But right. um, at this point, that's I'm starting to ask that question now like what is the you know i i understand what the the, the plot point is of the storyline where it's this choice between staying or going right in the way versus um immortality and uh but i there, i think there's a deeper question um that wendy and richard are attempting to communicate here um and it's starting to sort of bubble up to the surface now Mm-hmm. Now that we've had this revelation, and I, I'm not quite clear at this point what it is, um, yeah. but I, I feel like we're getting closer to understanding like what they actually want to say. With yeah, them. and that that's where I think um, I think you're right, and I think that that is not something that we're going to get an answer to on an issue by issue basis, right? So I kind of feel like whatever that is. We're not going to really get that until this tale is done and we really kind of see where they take it. And then we kind of sit and think about it and reread it, you know, a few dozen times. And and then I think it might all start to make sense. But also, I think that they're not going to come out and just say it, right? Wendy and no. Richard's style is not to spoon feed us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and even if they are trying to say something specific, which I'm not 100% sure – that I think that's that's what they're trying to do. Um, I think that there's going to be many ways to interpret what they're going to do with the rest of Final Quest mm, and what I, sort of the bigger picture is. Yeah, I and, definitely think they have a message, though, that they're trying to communicate. I don't know if it is going to be, as you're saying, like specific. I, I would agree with you on that. I, I mean, you're right. They don't spoon feed um, anything. But I think that they do have some sort of philosophical sort of standpoint or viewpoint and their whether it's their worldview or 
how they see things and it's how they see humanity, I think maybe mm-hmm, might mm-hmm. factor into that. And it, it might encompass a few different philosophical viewpoints, but I definitely think that with this story, they are trying to communicate something deeper, right. well, deeper than just are the wolf riders going to follow the way or go to the stars. Like there's something else. Yeah. Yeah. Here. No, what we, and I, I completely agree with that. What I what I meant was just that I don't think that they're trying to, you know, like the example that you used a, a minute ago about this analogy between sort of Christian mythology, oh and, yeah, yeah, and, and and frankly a bunch of other religious mythologies about, um, you know, sort of the Trinity or whatever. Like I don't think they're trying to yeah. make a statement about those things. No, no, no. And as you as you were saying about, you know, I think Wendy commented on Facebook that. You know, like her intent with this was had nothing to do with that. But you know, I mean, we're 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 Westerners. Like we are influenced by this sort of you know mindset and religious influence in our culture. And so, if 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 that is showing up in some way, it makes total sense. And if fans are reading it and interpreting it that way, it also makes a lot of sense. Whether or not that was the point of doing it from Wendy and Richard's point of view, and that's what I meant. Like I don't know that they're going to get that specific, or you know. The, right, so you, I, think, I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah, I I do think, and this just might be my interpretation, that Wendy is trying to communicate, not trying to, but through this story, she's communicating something of her own spiritual worldview. And I don't think that, it, like you say, I agree with you, that it's not going to be specifically stated in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, this story is encompassing those elements of her life and, and Wendy and Richard's life. Um, and I think it, it's touching on their, her spiritual philosophy. Uh, yeah, I totally without, agree. Without any religious, um, you know, di- directly religious sort of ideas or philosophy, but something spiritual is being mm-hmm. communicated to us. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I think I think you could say that about that sounds too woo woo, or I don't know. I just, that's the sense that I'm getting from this story. So. Well, yeah, I mean, that, and that's what I was trying to get at before. Like, you know, you compare compare Final Quest to Shards, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like Shards, I love. You know, you, you know, in and I think it's a great example of a really amazing ElfQuest tale that was not just 100% Wendy and Richard. Wendy and Richard wrote it, but Brandon McKinney illustrated most of it. And, you know, I think it's right up there with some of the best of ElfQuest. But Shards was a rollicking adventure, right? It, and yes, it had some of the bigger picture, you know, philosophies in it. You know, think about, you know, Shuna and dictatorship and, and you know, even Cutter deciding not to kill Grommel Jun, but just saying like, you know, you're just the biggest bully in the in the forest and yeah. not anymore, yeah. you know, like there's definitely some philosophy in there. Yeah. But at the end of the day, Shards, yeah, it was a contained adventure story that moved the the bigger plot line of, you know, the ElfQuest mythos forward. But mm-hmm. it's to- like that kind of storyline or, 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 you know, Siege of Blue Mountain is another great example. Yeah, uh, of the same exact kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, it, it was it was sort of contained and limited in a certain way. And I just think like if you're reading Final Quest, thinking that that's what this is, you're probably going to either have your mind totally blown or you're going to be disappointed or whatever. And um, and and again, I don't know what that end message or you know things that we're going to glean from this until we get to the end. You know, um, 
and again, I think about the the what Wendy and Richard did in the in the original quest. I mean, I don't think I didn't I didn't read I wasn't reading of quest in real time during the original quest. I started reading in 1985 just after it ended. Mm -hmm. So I can't tell you what the experience was like as a, you know, comic reader uh, in the moment. I mean, I got them in graphic novels and read them in big chunks, but I can tell you that from that experience, I had no idea, no flipping clue that that's where they were going to go with this. And it was huge. And I just think again, that that's what final quest is like, they're they're pulling final quest up out of just the typical fantasy adventure tale Mm -hmm. which is great and amazing and has so many you know value and merit up into this again this bigger sort of bigger picture again mythological and you know like i said symbolic and things like that so um so yeah yeah so definitely dealing with deeper themes than what we've seen in some of the other stories Right. I mean, I think all along, some of the themes have been there. Sure. And, you know, sometimes they do get deeper. But I just, again, as as an overarching, you know, sort of major chapter of ElfQuest, um, again, it, it, it's got plenty of adventure and action. Yeah. And all the typical things that people that read comic books and people that are interested in fantasy and, frankly, you know, most ElfQuest fans are interested in. But there's this other layer of, of taking it up into the bigger thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, another interesting thought on that is that... I've been thinking about the fact that that in and of itself is sort of a reflection of what the characters are going through. Um, You know, ever since the palace was restored in Kings of the Broken Wheel, we've been seeing this sort of steady, you know, enlargement is probably the best word or or, or, um, expansion is probably a better word of what these beings are, their powers, their connections, their, you know, the stakes have all been sort of growing and growing and growing. I mean, you know, the original quest and, and, you know, sort of the traditional wolf riders, you know, they, they, they were simple and, and wild and, you know, non-magical for the most part. And, you know, fast forward to today and, and the story has taken them in a place where like almost, you know, the, the world and their powers are, you know, their powers have given them so much, um, sort of access and ability to do almost anything. And it's almost like, um, it's almost like, I don't know, maybe a, a, an analogy could be in the real world, the inven- in invention of the internet, mm-hmm. like pre palace being, being restored by the glider spirits via Rick. And then, and then also not just that, but what we've seen in final quest is having, Timane and elves reclaim it and actually relearn how to how to work the palace, right? right. Those things are sort of like in, in the real world the equivalent of the connectivity that and the powers that we now have because of the internet. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm just sort of thinking on the fly here, so I, this is not a fully. Hey, you know, and, sort of, and both both the internet and ElfQuest have trolls, so. That is totally true. <laughs> All right. So so enough about this big mumbo jumbo spiritual symbolic stuff. Let's talk about some of the cooler, um, you know, specific things about about the the issue. Okay. Um, so um, where to begin? Let's let's begin with good old Winkin and his wings. His we finally fruit roll up wings. His <laughs> yes. Oh my god, <laughs> that's so funny because I actually had the same thought. They're kind of like fruit roll-ups, you know. You kind of, um, yeah. So, so after 
you know, their introduction last issue. And, you know, we actually talked about it on the podcast. I think a lot of fans had a similar reaction. Like those don't look like they would actually, you know, sort of be stiff enough to support flight. Cause you kind of have to have, you know, if they're wobbly, they're not going to get the, like the lift and the physics and all that kind of stuff. And so in this issue, we, we learned that, you know, Winkin has the ability to, um, you know, when he, when he basically sort of extends them, um, they kind of fill up. And so here is, uh, I'm going to share something that um, I actually had a, a conversation with Wendy herself about this. And the way that she described it to me, um, which obviously when I tell you how she described it, um, didn't is not the way that they chose to do it in the comic, but I think it's appropriate to share because I think people will get a chuckle out of it. Um, basically, Winkin's wings work the same way that you know certain parts of the human anatomy work <laughs> when we get when we get turned on and aroused. It's all about you were going to go there. It's all about those blood vessels. And if you note, she draws the blood vessels in there. And so when Winkin is getting ready to fly and he extends them, he can engorge them and they get stiff and hard and he's able to use them for flight. And when wow. he's done and when he's done with that, you know, he can kind of let them go flaccid and and then he kind of wraps them up over his arm. So, OK, so know. I was wrong in telling them <laughs> pull up wings. They're actually dick wings. Totally. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we might as well just come right out and say it. Right? <laughs> no, I mean it, exactly. it is it, it is a uh, an explanation that that works. Um, but I was thinking too. I mean, like if you look at butterflies or moths, they have wings that are sort of the equivalent to what he has in some yeah. respect. Yeah. They don't have like uh, like in the way that a bat has, you know, the the fingers that stretch the the uh, the skin between them in order to create a a stiff membrane. You know, insects don't really have wings like that. So well, but but wait, but hang on for a second. And and I'm so glad you said that because it's going to allow me to nature geek out on everybody for a minute. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I didn't even think about that. But again, more more genius out of Wendy and Richard. Insects do the exact same thing. When a butterfly first emerges from its chrysalis, mm -hmm. guess what? Its wings are soft yeah. and and it can't fly on them. But what it does is, is that it will it basically pump its wings, kind of flap them and get its blood to flow up through those veins into the wings, which makes them hard and stiff so that it can fly. And I didn't even think about that at all until you just said that. But like, so, so in other words, whether or not they intended it, I don't know, maybe they did. Um, there's a very plausible real world, you know, explanation for how Winkin's wings work. I mean, yes, he has the ability to control it, but that's not surprising given that they're elves and they're magical and they are shape changers and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, um, so you just gave me a complete new, um, appreciation for what Wendy and Richard did with that's Winkin's wings. For. That's what I'm <laughs> this is uh, frankly, this is why I love doing this podcast with you, Ryan, because we get to like jabber on about this stuff. Yeah. And so many times you say stuff that I'd never even thought about. So well, likewise, I mean, it's that's the whole point, right, of doing this is that it triggers so many different uh, new ways of looking at the story and thinking about things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
All right, so... So, yeah, so um, his wings are... Uh, we now have a, a more rounded explanation for how they work. Um, uh, and... Maybe even a harder explanation <laughs> for how they work. <laughs> oh, oh, do, oh, do people have to... Do other elves have to, like, talk dirty to him all the time? They get, <laughs> in order for him to fly, he's got to... You know, how... Okay. Yeah, so, so this is a perfect opportunity to do to do one of the things that I wanted to do um, on this episode, and that is, we've been remiss about our original mentioning the orgy in every episode, oh, and not yeah. that I yeah. not that I think that we need to force fit that, but I do want to give a shout out to Redhead Ember, who is a longtime ElfQuest fan, and she has been constantly reminding us that we keep forgetting to talk about the orgy so this is for you redhead ember we are talking about the orgy uh can't promise we're going to do it in every episode but there it is all right we got it in this time after yeah. the, we missed it the last 16 episodes i think exactly <laughs> okay so the other huge thing that i want to talk about um no pun intended winkins wings um is reef and and holy crap i mean who who would have guessed? Who would have seen anything like what we just saw in this issue happen with Reef as far as like this completely new uh, everything from character design to plot development and you know storyline. I mean, like yeah, this was totally uh, left out of left field. Yeah, uh, at least for me, it was. I did not see this coming whatsoever. No, um, which was really cool, actually. Uh, but hey, here's another addition to your Halloween list of ElfQuest uh, characters. Yeah, well, because right? this is like the uh, creature from the Black Lagoon, totally in like elf well, form. So, so if folks had not have not seen the um, the blog that I wrote, and actually last year I did a series of Twitter posts looking at this idea of like you know ElfQuest as being. Um, Oh god, it's it's kind of hard to explain, but this like idea getting that, into archetypal right Halloween, right? So like like elf like one of the coolest things about ElfQuest is how it takes our real world sort of myths and monsters and all of that, and and actually ex like tells a tale that explains how human could have come up with those myths. And obviously in ElfQuest, it's the elves that inspired them. It's the whole idea that Shuna says, like you know, did the spirits come because we believed in them or do we believe in them because they came kind of idea. And so the, the whole Halloween monster concept was like, you know, like, okay, so Tomaine is kind of like the ElfQuest version of a werewolf. And if you were a human living on the world of two moons and you saw or experienced Tomaine, like it doesn't, it's not a stretch to imagine that you would come up with a mythology about what we would call a werewolf, right? Right. Or, you know, two edge being sort of like the, the, the leprechaun who has like, you know, a treasure and is tricksy and, you know, you can't really trust them and they'll backstab you. Or, um, I came up with a whole bunch of them just for fun, yeah. you know, Winnow will as like sort of, you know, the, the, the wicked queen that we see in like every Disney movie. Um, or nowadays as the like demon that possesses someone. Right. Right. So, so I already included reef in that, um, in his broken one form as sort of a sea monster. Oh yeah. And, um, and I actually put surge as the creature from the black lagoon, right. but I think that you're totally spot on that, that reef in this, in this new sort of incarnation is, I think he's much more creature of the black lagoony in that. Yeah. I almost feel like the creature from the black lagoon is, um, is sort of like an innocent force of nature. Mm hmm. 
in a way that Surge wasn't. Surge was yeah. sort of damaged goods in many ways and, and his behavior um, as being sort of the sea monster that attacked humans and inspired fear and all that kind of stuff was was a little yeah. bit further away from yeah. what what I at least see the creature of the Black Lagoon to be. I mean, the poor thing just, you know, he just wanted a girlfriend, right? Yeah, he's so, more uh, just an embodiment of nature to some degree, right? right. Without sort Which, of any, any um, like, conscious uh, plan like Surge had. Like, Surge, right. you know, had... Uh, he he had um, plans and he thought things out. Whereas it seems like you know, with the creature from the Black Lagoon, it was just instinctual more than right. anything. And and that's totally the vibe I get out of Reef. Even before we knew this, that he's just sort of you know he's sort of an emotional being. Um, yeah. And 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 so that I find really exciting and really fascinating about this this transformation because. I mean, what's going to happen? What is going to happen? Like, what is he going to do? What can what can he do? Well, I think um, he's going to go ape shit on the <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the armada. Yeah, I, I I think so too. And and I would be lying if I said that I cannot wait to see that. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting to see um, what his response is to his own actions when he reverts back like i i don't it seems to me that he is fully aware of his whole self while mm-hmm. he's in this form mm-hmm. it's not like a, a jekyll and hyde type deal right. or a werewolf or like type. a hulk or something yeah where it's like oh, afterwards he can't believe what he did you know and he, right. he feels like a monster like he he's he seems like he's in control now it, it also appears to me that he's he's self-shaping himself right so he has mm-hmm. control over when he takes on this form or not so um it's interesting though to to note those two sides of his personality where when he's in his reform he's very placid and um calm and mm-hmm. very observed whereas uh in this new form it seems like he'll be very aggressive and uh dangerous um so that's that's a really interesting uh, sort of, um, you know, the two dispositions of this character are being explored right. in really extreme ways, almost. Yeah, no, I, th- I think I think that's a spot-on way of thinking about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I ha- there's so much to say about about this, even though it's what three panels in the entire issue. That's it, yeah. Um, is so so this is a great example of what we were talking about before with, you know, looking at the final quest from. You know, not not as like a reader being engaged in the an adventure fantasy story alone. I mean, that's an important way of approaching ElfQuest. But taking those couple steps back and looking at it in a little bit of a bigger picture, and um, you know, the way that we would you know analyze any piece of literature, right? And so hmm. when I when I saw this, so many things, it, it just it made me start thinking about so many things. Number one, um, you know, Wendy. And Richard did not create this group of wave dancers directly anyway. And so, um, and we've talked about this before, you know, the, the discovery was really the first time that Wendy kind of took control of this group of characters that, you know, again, she didn't have a direct hand in creating. Mm-hmm. And, and then obviously continuing on into um, the final quest. And we've seen some very specific and 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 significant things that Wendy and Richard are doing differently than the way that they were dealt with before. Number one this entire cast of however many of them there are 
you know, is not getting full spotlight. You know, they focused on just a very small number of the the wave dancer characters, which frankly I think is a was the right choice because there are just too many of them to keep track of yeah. and you know, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So so they're doing that. And then one of the other things that Wendy has said publicly on Facebook is that you know the original um, incarnation of of this group of wave dancers, you had um, Skimback as a healer, you had Snakeskin as a healer who really channeled his healing abilities towards growing corals, which are actually living creatures, but who was also a healer. And then we, we got the backstory of Reef, who was positioned to be a healer. Mm-hmm. And, um, a and even, at the, right, even at the time, that seemed to go against kind of this idea that healing is kind of a fairly rare magical ability and that too many healers would just not be something that say recognition would choose to make happen. Mm-hmm. So I, so, so to see what Wendy has done with it and that, you know, she said on Facebook several months ago, something to the effect that, you know, there are too many healers, but there's, there's a special manifestation of that in reef. Like he's not going to be a healer in the traditional sense as he was originally positioned. Mm-hmm. And so seeing this immediately made me think of that and be like, Oh, okay. So he's using this sort of healing ability in a self-shaping way. Um, and, and he's doing it not, you know, to sort of bring himself into this, this, you know, this, this sort of unique form. And yeah. so what I found really interesting too, is that, uh, what he specifically says, which is that he, um, I don't know the exact line, I'd have to find it here, but, uh, he wasn't, um, he wasn't broken. He was incomplete. Yes. So I, you know, I was thinking about that and what that means uh, in relation to Winnow Will. And, uh, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but, um, you know, does that, do you think that means that Winnow Will intended for him to have this form, um, when she, attack attacked him i guess that she was actually trying to transform him into this monster and it got cut off midway and he ended up in this you know as the broken one um, right. or is he essentially saying that um you know he he takes ownership of what happened to him and he instead of you know, rejecting it, he's embracing it to this extent where he, he's, um, pushing it even further than what it was to the point where he's embodied this new, completely new form that actually isn't a detriment to him, but is, um, quite possibly a, a benefit to his entire tribe. Yeah. Like more him than he ever dreamed he could have been. Exactly. Yeah, I, I definitely my my take on it is definitely the latter. I mean, I don't think that Winnow Will what Winnow Will did to him was in any way benign. You know, I don't think she was trying to help him out and she sent some, you know, potential in him and But you do know, you I mean, think that she intended to turn him into that form and it just got cut off? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know because, you know, what what we saw in the original Wave Dancers series yeah. um, It wasn't entirely you know, clear. Yeah, and I—I I, I mean, the way it was positioned there was very clearly that she was lashing out because she was half healed by Lita yeah. at the end of Siege of Blue Mountain, and she was dumped in this island, and she was, you know, stranded, and you know, she was kind of at the peak of her craziness, mm. and that she was just lashing out. Now, as we've seen, Wendy and Richard might take that core idea and really kind of 
flesh take it, it in, a, in, a, in a new right flesh it out take it in a in a in a slightly different direction as they've done a few times in final quest with some of the stuff that's gone before mm-hmm. um so I, I i can't i don't know i don't yeah. know mm-hmm. but you know all i can say to that point is we should just, we just have to keep reading and see but i'm so glad you brought up winnow will mm-hmm. because the the other thing that is super fascinating about reef and this transformation is is winnow will and we were just talking about Winkin right before we talked about Reef. And yeah. the thing that has really jumped out to me, even though it's sort of been a little bit of a subtle thing, is both of them, you know, you, you, both of them have been altered by Winnowill. And that'll be, that's sort of a, a very neutral term, right? Um, not really positive or negative, altered. Um, in the story, it's always been positioned as a negative, right? Mm-hmm. Winnow Will stole Winkin's wolf blood, and there was all of this angst, you know, throughout Siege of Blue Mountain and Kings of the Broken Wheel about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Reef was mutated into this hideous creature for thousands of years by Winnow Will. And it's always been, you know, Winnow Will has been the villain in that. But in Final Quest, multiple times at this point, Winkin, including in this issue, has made commentary like, Hey, Winnow Will did me a favor. You know, I don't, I don't bear her any ill will because she took my wolf blood. And you know, with Reef now, it's you know, I wonder if if there's going to be sort of a similar thing where, you know, maybe Reef, you know, maybe I think we're all expecting Reef to if he ever encounters Winnow Will, which seems like it might happen in this next issue because she's there, yeah, embodied inside Rayek. You know, we're all like, oh, you know, especially now that he's sort of like the monster version of himself, he's going to like go to town on her. But what would happen if like Winkin, Winnowill wasn't, like he doesn't perceive her as the villain? Like what if he's thankful that he that she unleashed this potential in him by turning him into the broken one that maybe he never would have figured out i don't know it's and just it, like all mind... of them are together now too or they will be winkin and reef will be right will likely right. be together so they'll all be with rayak and potentially then be able to communicate with Winnowill. right i didn't i actually didn't even think about yeah. that but you're absolutely right that all of really them are right there yeah i mean and we've said this before like um you know, we want to see these characters interact with each other. And I really want to see what happens when this character talks to this one. But we also have to keep in mind that we can't expect any of these things to happen because there's uh, 700 characters to deal with, right? So, right. And right. Wendy and Richard can't, like, you know, elaborate on all of their stories. It would just be too unwieldy and take up way too much time. Uh, totally. But, uh, you know, as far as, like, if we don't see that, like, if... For fanfic purposes that would be really a really neat story to sort of explore um but we'll see what happens in the next issue i mean the fact that they're all together these these players in win will's life um right. and like exactly what you're saying right where we have viewed win will's machinations as being sort of evil before, but now it seems like these characters are sort of embracing what happened to them at the hands of win will so if they do get a chance to sort of communicate with her, it will be really interesting to see how they relate to her now based on, on what she did to them. Right. Yeah. And so again, my wheels are just spinning. And, um, and like I said, I mean, Winkin has, has very clearly been saying things um, again, on multiple occasions in final quest that indicate that, 
you know, he sees it as a favor. So it just makes me think, like, I don't know how Reef is going to react. I mean, I, I'll be honest, like, maybe he is going to go ape shit, <laughs> you know, yeah. to use your word. Um, fish he, shit. Right, fish shit, there you go. Um, I mean, who knows? And and again, I'm just like, that's that's kind of what I'm loving about, well, it's what I love about ElfQuest in general, but in particular with Final Quest, that I, I, I still have no clue what's going to come next. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not, it's... it's it's certainly not a predictable story, no, which is a good thing. Not. Yeah. So a couple other things though about about Reef yeah. that I think um, that I want to talk about. Um, I mean, we all know, and and this is what I was starting to say a few minutes ago about looking at that plot development and character design, not necessarily just from the story, like from within the story, but looking back out from more of a an analysis, like a literary analysis point of view. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just like it. It's so outside the box for what we have seen in ElfQuest in many ways. Um, I think when I, I, I commented on Facebook when it when we the issue first came out that you know this is not your grandma's ElfQuest, right? This I don't think we would have seen this kind of character design thirty years oh, ago. No way, no. Um, uh, yeah, like, but this is all story wise as a result of having access to the palace and the power right. that it possesses, right? Exactly. And that goes back to the point we were talking about a few minutes ago too, that things like this are, are, are possible because of the way that the elves have grown because of their access to the palace and rediscovering their roots and their magic and all of that. So yeah. even within the story, it makes perfect logical sense that, you know, again, that, that Sunstream can be shaped into his fish form and, mm-hmm. you know, that, that we can give Winkin wings and it, it has perfect precedent going all the way back to Winnowill shaping Tildak within the story and the rules of ElfQuest, right? Yeah. But just, you know, I, I, but it's still shocking to see and it's not something that I think we would have seen, say, in the original quest. No way, right? no. But, but what, what, I, what I see when I see that, again, the, really we only see it in one panel. What I see is Wendy's love of of Japanese art and culture and fantasy and history. Like I see sort of um, I see a little bit of Godzilla, you know, this sort of creature from the sea that rises up um, and destroys. Again, I'm assuming that Reef is going to destroy. I don't know. But um, I see. I hope he's not going to like give them hugs and sing Kumbaya. (laughs) What a letdown that would be. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i kind of want to see him smash things yeah. so uh, look at those claws i mean exactly yeah and those tentacles someone needs to get strangled with those right. uh, a ship needs to be like sunk with that tail lashing a hole in it but um no i i totally agree i i i think i kind of need to see that but um but you know i i just i i just see this character design as partially like a big nod whether conscious or not to, to Wendy's love of all things Japanese and that, that influence. I also think of things like, uh, did you ever watch a Voltron? Yeah. So, and, and I get the sense that, I mean, Voltron was sort of brought to America in the eighties and the, the, the monsters all transformed. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. They all started out as like these small things and then they transformed into these these sort of monsters that Voltron then had to fight. And I, I get the sense and I am no no um expert on on anime and manga and all that, but I get the sense that that's like a thing in in Japanese fantasy art and animation that there's this sort of idea of 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 
transformation into these monstrous forms yeah. that it's not not just Voltron. I don't know. I'm sure listeners, there are many people out there that know a lot more about it than I do. Well, but I see that. I, I agree with you. You might have missed this, though, but on Facebook, Wendy um, said that this was sort of her version of uh, Gargoyle. And that was the next thing I was oh, okay. going to say. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, to, you know, we're going along with this anime and animation line here. Um, Gargoyles was essentially a, an American anime television series. Yep. Um, and I know Wendy is a huge fan, and I I was a huge fan too. I watched that show religiously. I loved it. And the first thing I thought when I saw this um, character design was gargoyles. And yeah. then to see Wendy specifically mention that, I was like, yeah, okay, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. So I can. The, yeah, those were the two things that I was gonna say. Yeah. From like, it, like, even if you think that this is like really weird to have a character that looks like this in ElfQuest. Like if you understand it through the lens of, you know, like where Wendy's coming from, like her, her artistic history and, and, and what she wants to do with the story. That's what I meant when I said, like not just appreciating the final quest and any individual issue or plot development for its role within the, the, the life of the story, but but taking that that more meta picture and understanding it, I mean, in the same way that um, you know that you'd read Shakespeare, mm-hmm. and then you know you would understand what happens plot wise by understanding like who William Shakespeare was and what his motivations were and what his influences were oh, and yeah. why you know like yeah, Geo- he's a product of his culture, right? Exactly, so. yeah. And so, so I mean, I think you can do that for for everything in ElfQuest, um, you know, based on what Wendy and Richard have chosen to share with us, which, you know, when we get those little nuggets of insight from them, you know, it, it, I, I, as I've said before, it's like sort of nuggets of gold that really, really help us understand um, where they're taking the story and why they've made certain choices about plot or art or whatever. Um, and the fact that we get to do that in real time, I mean, it's almost, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of unheard of yeah. um, to be able to interact with the creator of, of whatever art that's out there that you're appreciating in real time and get their real insight and interpretations on things. I don't know. So at the end of the day, I absolutely love adore cannot wait for more of monster reef <laughs> mm. um yeah I, we've got to yeah. come up with a nickname for this this form of reef we'll have yeah. to think about it all right <laughs> yeah i'm sure we'll come up with one uh, i'm surprised we we haven't yet yeah well well okay so so i i'm i'm you know drawing a completely like witty blank at the moment um to come up with something but hey why don't we throw that out there to everybody listening come up with a fun nickname for Reef in his sort of monster form. And when we share the, this podcast, you guys can post it away in the, in the comment section and we'll see, maybe one of them will stick. Yeah. I like that idea. Did you see uh Sonny's drawing? Of Reef? I did. Yeah. That was really cool. Yeah. Sonny. So, so if folks didn't see it, um, Wendy, when this, when the issue first came out and folks were, talking about on this is on Facebook uh about everything and, and, and about Reef, Wendy shared an illustration that Sonny did of sort of this monster version of Reef. And it was really interesting because it was it very different than Wendy's take on it. Mm-hmm. Um you know and I thought and it, I was, only... it was very um hellboyish. 
Ooh, that's yeah, an interesting like thought. Mike Mignola. Yeah, right. Yeah. Sort of Abe Sapien's, you know, bigger, burlier cousin. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the thing that struck me about it was just how, I mean, it was the same character, but it was it was very different than Wendy's. Um, what You know, this one illustration that we've seen Wendy do of him. And I don't know if Wendy did it first or if Sonny did it first or whatever, but um, it just... Um, I don't know, like Wendy's version was, for lack of a better term, and I know this is going to sound weird, was much more sensual. No, that doesn't sound weird. I know what you mean. Okay. Okay. All right. And maybe, um, Sonny, I don't know if you're listening to this, but I'm I'm thinking of your cartoon where, um, you know, when you were Wendy's apprentice and you drew a cartoon of her beating you up over the line of beauty. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe Wendy's version of monster reef is just so imbued and infused with her line of beauty aesthetic um, well wendy's style always sort of embodies an androgyny right whereas with um with sunny's illustration there's totally a much more masculine uh, yeah, element that's, at play. that's exactly it that's exactly it that's you just said in like two words what i was babbling on about for five minutes <laughs> 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 trying to help you out here yeah no i think that's yeah, exactly I, it. maybe we should cut down on the wine <laughs> I, I i've only had a glass and a half so uh-huh. <laughs> but and now that you say that i'm going to pour myself some more um yeah so um i think that was everything that i wanted to cover about reef um well okay so we've got reef and uh he's protecting the well no he's not protecting but uh he's transformed into this his, this monster form um in all likelihood to attack the uh the jun's um fleet who are attacking the humans uh the, this human village which includes a character that we saw several issues ago who i didn't yeah. expect to see again but he's the old fisherman yep and he's got a little charm of um Corifei. Mm-hmm. Interpretation of Orfei around his neck, because you can see the Tina Turner hair. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Given for a fishtail, because obviously they would just assume that if you're living in the ocean, then you're, you're some sort of mermaid. Um, Perfect example of of the whole um, Elfquest characters as mythological creatures, right? Yeah, exactly. How how a human could see something and immediately put its own interpretation on it that might not actually be you know accurate of the real creature but this is how mythologies are built right right. so yeah and it looks like he's he gets shot we don't actually see him oh we do see him dead yeah you see the page i was like we don't actually see him so he might be uh no yeah you you see the poor guy um yeah so he didn't make it um but yeah so all these soldiers have firearms uh thanks a lot to edge uh right and right. uh, Venka is the first elf to ever get shot by a bullet, but it looks like it's not a fatal wound. She gets shot in the shoulder, and it, it sort of rebounds off of her. So, yeah, while yeah. painful, I am hopeful that she'll make it. But there's been a lot of um, sort of discussion as to what might happen in the next issue, because if she needs healing, then they do technically have a healer available. Um, yeah, they have two of them, right? Um, I mean, there's there's uh, uh, 
skim back and reef right there. Right. And win a will. Oh, okay. This is actually what I'm thinking. What if Rhea has to, whether it's force win a will to heal Venka or mm-hmm. ask to? I, I would think it would be more likely that Rayek would force her to, knowing Rayek. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Um, yeah, hmm. yeah. I mean, I just, like I my mind immediately went to the the wave dancer healers, yeah. but but what if they're unable to because they're being attacked, right? What if they're unable to get to Venka and Rayek, so mm-hmm. Rayek has to somehow. I- get Winnowill to do it, and imagine Winnowill having to heal Venka, who is her one of her arch enemies. Right. Yeah, that would be a plot twist for sure. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah, you always come up with these things that I don't ever even think of. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I can't take total credit. Some of these things I see people talking about, so uh-huh. if you're out there and I'm stealing your idea, then... <laughs> well, no, I just think I, I, I have to give you credit for for being so intuitive in a way that I sometimes am not um, going back to, you know, your guess about what was going to happen with Shen Shen. Yeah, you know what? I take full credit for that one. <laughs> which which can you believe that was a year ago? I can't really that long. That was yeah, that was last year that we recorded that. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Time flies. Time flies when you're geeking out over ElfQuest. I love um, Rayek's new clothes that he's wearing. You know, I... Are you an have, anti-buckle? I'm, I'm a little bit of an anti-buckle. You're an anti-buckleite? Not because I don't think it, it doesn't make sense for Rayek, because of all the elves, he is the least sort of fluid and adaptable. He's the most rigid and hard-edged and, you know, sort of black and white and i think of like a right angle as being kind of the perfect symbol for that um i just and maybe that's exactly why like i want my elves to be fluid and flowy and line of beauty ish and and rake just is none of those things and so i guess in a way it's sort of a perfect costume design for him um i love my yeah, thing, i love the color scheme because this is his classic color scheme you know the, it's, the it's, reds and yellows and He's got the blue too, but I I love his costume. Yeah, I mean it's it, it, even more than his original color scheme. It's it's Lita's original color scheme. That's true. Yeah, with the blue in it because Ray never had blue before, and so no. I thought that was an interesting an interesting choice. Um, my favorite Rayek outfit was his shards outfit, that dark burgundy red one that Moonshade did for him. Yeah, so that he, with the hood. Yeah, yeah with the hood. Um, and it makes sense that a wolf rider designed it because it was the least sort of angular of any of his outfits. Yeah, but, yeah, um, I agree. But yeah, I mean that's just my personal taste and preference. It makes perfect sense that um, that he'd have an outfit like that with the yeah with the squares and the buckles and all that kind of stuff. Speaking of which, mm-hmm. that little um, plot point revealed that yeah. an old, you know, sort of potentially even non-canonical character is actually indeed yes you know the real deal yeah. he's part of the canon he and not only that but he's like alive and kicking in the palace mm-hmm. making clothes and that is good old Anshan yes. who was only ever mentioned once in i believe it was well in the original first issue of um of new blood which right. was sort of like an anthology comic 
showcasing these whirlpool stories of other artists' interpretations of ElfQuest. And an artist and storyteller named Leah Hernandez did a story called Moonshade um, that would, that then, after that first issue, which was an anthology comic with different chapters done by different artists, um, when the series continued, each issue after that was its own self-contained story. And I want to say it was issue four of New Blood, if I am recalling correctly. I don't um, was the was was the continuation of chapter one that was in the in issue number one of New Blood of this of this Moonshade story. So um, not to confuse everybody with all that, but there were basically two parts of it. One was in New Blood one, part two was I think in issue number four of New Blood. But at any rate, it's a story of when the Wolf Riders are fairly new to um, or living in um, Sarah's End for however long they were there, um, and. The Sun Villager, or uh, uh, Taylor, not Tanner, um, clothing maker, was this guy named Anshan who basically got a crush on Moonshade, and it didn't really end very well for him um, because he wanted her to be this sort of pretty, you know, immortal type elf. And um, oh, gee, look at what happened! Right, right. So here's another example of what I was talking about earlier about. Like how much? How much do these peonies have like planned in advance? Especially given that that story was written by somebody else in you know I don't know what ninety six. Yeah, I mean almost you know I mean decades ago yeah. basically. Yeah. So um and 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 they're and if they didn't come up with it on their own, I almost think it would. It, it's almost better that they're bringing him back in, even if it's just this one little nod. Mm-hmm. Um. Because it's just a testament to, again, their adaptability and their ability to sort of weave in all of these, this multitude of story from other artists and and storytellers that they've worked with over the years back into one single narrative in Final Quest. So, so yeah, I mean, Anshan seems to be one of those sort of weird, I don't know if I would call him a fan favorite, but I think people generally liked that story that Leah Hernandez told and illustrated. And, you know, his name has popped up over the years. People have been curious about him. Um, and yeah. so, you know, we got confirmation that he's still alive mm-hmm. and he's still making clothes. He just made Rayek's new outfit and um, and also Ekwar's new outfit, which, by the way, sidebar. Mm-hmm. How cute is, is Ekwar's new outfit with that, that multicolored hood? Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah, I did. And I, I was hoping to see him wearing it in this issue, but we didn't. So I'm hoping for next issue we'll see what it looks like. Like while he's yeah, it, actually wearing it. Right. The hood. And yeah. and I and I don't know who to give credit to for that. If it was something that um, you know, the color scheme that Wendy came up with and you know, sort of dictated to Sonny, or if it was something that Sonny came up with uh, came up with on his own. But um I totally love it. It's it's sort of cute and endearing just like Equar himself and um and it's nice to finally see him in a color other than just sort of you know raw deerskin tan yeah like gray yeah. or dun colored cool right yeah 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 he can get a little flashy now i think eh? yeah right why not um, um i wonder if Anshan and moonshade if she gets back into the clothes making business if they'll be like the elfquest version of Dolce and Gabbana, no. <laughs> that, that, the house of, the, the house of, what would it be? I don't know. That's, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'll I'll tell you that um, 
No, but uh, like, so, so this is not the first time that Anchen has come up amongst the, the fans discussing Final Quest because, you know, when the first time Moonshade showed up in that flowy purple palace getup, mm-hmm. the first thing that everybody thought was, oh my God, that's exactly what Anchen was trying to get her to wear and be this thing that back then yeah. she didn't feel and she wasn't. And it was kind of ironic that that is what Wendy and Richard chose to dress her in. And and I'll be honest, I didn't really think that they would ever go back to the Anshan story just because, again, it was a story told by another artist um, and that with everything else going on in the final quest, I just didn't think they would have room to sort of work that in, even though it does make a lot of perfect logical sense given Moonshade's story trajectory in Final Quest, right? Yeah. That she is not who she was before and that she's grown past that and she's had new revelations. And 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 again, maybe in this like sort of weird, bizarre irony, she is finally becoming what she what Anshen sort of had this vision of what she she was back then. And maybe now that they've mentioned him. In, in Final Quest, maybe it'll just be a one-time passing mention, sort of a nod to, you know, like we've seen nods to the Forever Green with Winkin. Well, and with, to Saren and Boki. Totally, right. Mm-hmm. Which I, I can't imagine that they're going to follow every one of those threads. Like, you know, my, that, those are perfect examples of what I was talking about, where I feel like Wendy and Richard have done a masterful job at, at sort of, again, giving a nod to some of these other secondary or tertiary stories and characters to let us know, yeah, this really did happen. It's canonical, but they're not really going to go into details about it. Yeah. That's actually what I really thought was happening um, with, well, with, with this mention of Anshan, mm-hmm. but, but given the, the purple dress, I, I don't know, maybe they'll, maybe he'll be introduced again in a bigger way. I don't know. Yeah, it's possible. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking about that story and I'm wondering if this was all planned and that story was um, Wendy and Richard had Leah Hernandez write and illustrate it because it was a means of foreshadowing what would eventually happen with Moonshade, or if it's all just coincidental, or if that story was, you know, independently thought up and then Wendy and Richard decided to incorporate it, uh, down the line as a piece of foreshadowing i you know, it, like, if it, it if it was plotted out back in the early 90s or mid 90s i i can just say that i totally give up because <laughs> there is no way to guess any of this right i mean if they're willing to sit on secrets for the better part of two decades like I just, I don't even know what to do. Well, look at Dreamtime. I mean, that came out in the late 90s. And we're only now getting, you know, the answers to right to what happened in that story. But, but you know, I, I, I think that, that Dreamtime was still several years after that, um, the, the Moonshade story yeah. what, that introduced Anshen. So I don't know. I mean, I'll put it this way. I wouldn't put anything past Wendy and Richard. Because they do this kind of stuff, and so yeah. uh, it just it it just does it just blows my mind that they have the the willpower to keep some of this stuff under wraps and weave it all in together into this sort of again bigger story tapestry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of Moonshade, uh, we we get a scene here which I was kind of jar I found jarring. Um, which scene? The scene where 
um, Strongbow is speaking with um, Mender and Dart and right. telling them to stick together because they were planning on splitting up. Uh, Mender was going to... Who was going back to the Holt? To so... Mender? So... They, yeah, I mean, they. I think they were all going to go back to the, which, by the way, we have a name for Ember's tribe's halt, the High Winds halt. Yes. So you know now we have thorny better than the Break Winds halt. It it definitely is better than the Break Winds. That would be um, maybe what we would call it if the trolls. trolls (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think it's kind of neat to have just sort of a name for that halt, but. yeah, so as I, I was a little confused when I read this the first time because I wasn't sure who was going where or what, and um, and, yeah. and and actually going back to um, the the scene where Yun is saying goodbye to the Gobacks that confused me too the first time that I read it, but after reading it a few times, it made sense. So the the, the palace is leaving the Holt Cutter's Holt with the Sun Villagers and the Gobacks, and so Yun was just saying goodbye to them. Um, because she's staying in Cutter's Holt, right. and then and then in the scene that you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, you know the, the the big chief's gathering is over. This sort of one day party that happened over the course of last issue and partially this issue, mm-hmm. um, and so Ember's saying, "Listen, my father just freaked out and like ran off, so I'll stay here and lead you guys until we figure out what's going on with him." And Mender's saying, "I'll stay too." And then Dart says, you know what, like, you know, the, the, the rest of our tribe back at the High Winds Halt needs you. And because there's danger there and we don't have the palace and whatever and we don't have Lita. So Mender basically says, OK, you know what, I wanted to be in the thick of things and in the adventure, but I'm choosing, you know, maybe the quieter path, um, which I think is really sweet and actually very true to life, um, you know, like. When you're single, you're out there partying and adventuring, and then you get into a relationship, and you kind of realize that sometimes just the quiet life is is more appealing. Sometimes Netflix and chill is just more fun than totally right. Up the bars. And so, right, and so I think that's what's happening here. So then, from what I read in the caption, yeah, it's the bottom of. I'm looking at my physical comic, so I don't know exactly what page it is, but it says Sunstream returns tear. And his three tribe mates, which would be Dart, Mender, and Free Touch, to the High Winds Hall. So they all leave. Okay. So it took me a couple of reads to kind of get that with everything else going so they've on. All, but... They've all gone back to Ember's Hall. Um, exactly. But what I found jarring, though, about this scene is what happens between what Strongbow says. Because in the last issue, he was, it looked like he was homicidal. Mm-hmm. You remember when he found out that Moonshade uh, had given up her wolf blood and he was blaming Lita and it was very um, troubling and dark. I remember we were talking about that and we were yeah, yeah, like, totally. oh my god, yeah. what's going to happen? What's he going to do? And now here, he it seems like he's in total acceptance, or maybe not total, but he's resigned himself to hmm. Moonshade's choice. I, am I misinterpreting that? Are you... Getting no, but uh, I'm letting what you're saying kind of sink in because okay. I didn't I didn't have that reaction. Um, but I see I can totally see what you're saying because um, it, it seems like he's he's saying he says specifically what's lost is lost. What's lost is lost. What dies dies. It's the way. So 
now it seems like he's mm, completely yeah, but... in acceptance of what happened. Whereas last issue, he looked like he was going to kill Lita. You know, like he was so pissed off. Yeah. Okay. I see. I see what you're saying. So I don't but... see like where the transition came from. Like what what happened in the interim that he's now saying, oh well, it's it's the way. I don't think there's any level of acceptance whatsoever in what Strabo is saying here. And I think that because of the expression on his face. Um, I, like, so, so I see what you're saying, right? So I, like, if you were anticipating, you know, sort of a murderous rampage on Strongbow's part, um, then this does seem a little bit jarring. But for me, I mean, those panels last issue, which were hugely powerful really communicated the depth to which Strongbow is not on board with this, right? And hinted at some trouble down the line. Mm -hmm. This is really all we kind of see of Strongbow in this issue, with the exception of like a couple pages before, where he makes sort of, again, another kind of backhand comment about, you know, what happened last night could break anyone's bowstring. This is Strongbow sort of, trying to kind of walk his talk and being like, oh, it's the way. But clearly, this is tearing him up inside. You know, like, I don't think that this story, this plot line is done in the least, in part because of what we see going on in the background. You know, like, he is saying this. I haven't decided yet if I think he's doing it in, like, a classic passive-aggressive move. Like, does he know that Moonshade is, is right there and that she is perceiving his send that what's lost is lost. What dies is what, what dies dies. It's the way like, and then she turns and walks back into the palace. Like it, like he, like this, this is not Strongbow accepting anything. This is Strongbow like saying like, well, this is just the way it is. But I, you know, I think that, that the, the eruption of his emotion is still, still coming. And I don't, I didn't read this in any way that would suggest that it, it, it won't be, or that he's somehow like all hunky dory with Moonshade's choice. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm, I'm not getting that at all. Really? Yeah. I completely disagree with you. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting from this that he's like, he's okay with this now. And it's well, part of the way and he's accepted it. All I can say to that is we will find out. Yeah. We? We'll, have, we'll have to see. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's next issue. will just lose his shit and go crazy right but it seems like here he's to me the way i'm reading it or interpreting it and i could be wrong but it seems like he's fine with it now or at least he's accepted it well again i all i can say to that is that we're just gonna have to find out yep. um and i i'm not gonna put bets on either interpretation because i frankly have no clue right maybe it is i don't know maybe he's well, just doing this to like fool everyone and he's got this, this no 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 i don't think it's that at all i just think like he hasn't really i mean again you got to remember and this is actually little little side point you know i've, I've heard grumblings um you know among certain fans being like everything's happening too fast like the events of the last two issues have happened over the course of like, a couple hours yeah up until the three-day trek that Rayek and Winkin and Benkin and Ekwar take at the very end. But so this is this is like, you know, an hour later after Strongbow, you know, sort of is hit with this revelation that Moonshade has done 
in his mind, the unthinkable, give up her wolf blood. So I, you know, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't have expected him to like punch someone in the face, even though those panels in last issue were really grim and dark. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I just, I don't know. I don't think that this is just, you know, they're telling this issue was much more about cutter and then, you know, the ending with Rayek and, and how that's going to move the bigger plot forward. So, you know, yeah. Strongbow and Moonshade's story is sort of a sub story within this, just like Dart and Menders is. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm going to say that I feel quite confident that we're going to see a lot more turmoil out of this, that this isn't just Strongbow totally after an hour of thought just being like, oh, OK, it's the way. I think it's him saying, like, I kind of have to say this because it's what I've been saying all along. Like, it's the way. Just go with the flow. But I, I, I feel much more like it's it's sort of, a, again, a passive-aggressive dig at Moonshade because, you know, it's like, what else are you going to do? You know, yeah, it says it's an open sending, what he was sending to Mender and Dart. And I'm just reading the um, – it says Strongbow's open sending aims at more than the love mates. And then he sends that. So right. So that that right. I'm glad maybe. you. I'm glad you called that out. Yeah. Like he he's saying it. It might be a barb kind of thing. I think it's a barb. I totally think it's a. I barb. just wasn't getting that though from this. So I don't know. I'm gonna have to wait till next issue to see what right. what happens with this storyline. But I I'm still not quite clear on where he's at. I mean, do you really think that Strongbow is like t- totally fine now? I mean, just think about it. Think about all the buildup to this rift between Strongbow and Moonshade. The shocking rift. Well, no, that's why I was so confused by these panels, because I I couldn't understand why he would be okay with it. And then I'm reading it, and I'm looking at him, and he doesn't look really troubled. And then just based on what he says that, you know, like, for what's lost is lost, what dies dies, it's the way. I mean, that to me just reads as... He's resigned to to what's happened. I think you're totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I can see. I mean, maybe I am. Well, again, like I said, we'll see. But the the other thing that I'm glad you you brought this scene up because the main point of it obviously is the 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 application of what Strongbow is saying to Dark Mender to to his situation with Moonshade, and I'll also note. You you called this out last time, this this idea of Strongbow's bow, yeah, and his bowstring as being this visual sort of harsh dividing line, mm-hmm. and we see it again in the scene over his face. Yeah, it just it's sort of his bow is separating himself from Moonshade, and even if you look at those two panels, I'm looking at them right now. Yeah. In the first panel, there, you know, Moonshade is standing there and she is actually on the inside of where his bow is. Mm-hmm. And then once he makes that second comment in the, in the second panel there, mm-hmm. what's lost is lost. What dies dies. It's the way she's on the outside of the bow. Oh yeah. And she's walking back into the palace. Yeah. It's almost Remember like you... the bowstring acts as another um, border. Yeah. Between panels or inside of a panel. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, again, you called it out last episode, and I didn't even notice that. And, and as soon as I read this, based on what you had said, I totally saw that. I don't. So, I don't know if that's Wendy's intention or not, though. I. I mean, this. This is just my interpretation of it. That's what it reads. 
mm-hmm. do as me. I didn't, and now that you're pointing it out here, now I can see it. I didn't even notice it this time, but specifically in last issue, in that one panel, that's it really stood out to me um, as a visual cue of sorts. So, yeah, um, well, I don't know if that's what she's intending. I, I don't I don't either. And and, you know, it almost doesn't matter. Like, I wouldn't be surprised in the least if that was a subtle, um, you know, sort of artistic visual thing that she yeah. was doing. You know, again, more symbolism. Right. You know, we we're talking about Final Quest being imbued with a lot of symbolism, mm-hmm. maybe more so than 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 other ElfQuest tales. But I wouldn't be surprised. But I equally wouldn't be surprised if it was just um she has to draw it that way because that's yeah. just the way the illustration requires it to be drawn so right exactly and that and that even if it is completely coincidental that there's that element there that we are looking at and interpreting that way and it just fits mm-hmm. i i think both of those are equally cool and awesome so i don't know we'll see yeah um, i mean you can make the argument that like art visual art is sort of a a conversation between the artist and the the viewer right like mm-hmm. as a as a reader of elfquest i am bringing my own experience to the story and i'm interpreting the story from the artist through my own experience so a thousand percent you know yeah. it it's sort of like a a conversation between two people Yep, that's what that's again a more eloquent way of saying what I was attempting to say. That you know whether or not Wendy designed the panel or Wendy and Richard you know sort of put the the words together to and included this piece of Strongbow's bow being sort of this dividing line, or if it's just a random coincidence that is meaningful to us as readers because what we're bringing to the story ourselves. Again, I think both of those things are equally awesome and amazing yeah. and ElfQuest is filled with them. So, um, so, so again, that actually is a, is a good segue to the next thing I wanted to say about these two panels or really the first panel here um, that, you know, this idea of what readers bring. And um, I just have to say that this, the first panel there where Strongbow is sending to Dart and Mender mm-hmm. were, particularly meaningful for me mm-hmm. um just from the point of view that you know here we have finally the big reveal of who the prominently featured same-sex love mates are going to be right for the first time in ElfQuest history where we kind of see them at the forefront and there's not sort of a you know a, an opposite gender three mating going on where you know whatever um right and and in particular for me, um, this issue came out just right after I got married, and being like seeing, uh, particular in particular a very traditional dad talk to his son mm-hmm. and and his his boyfriend basically, mm-hmm. and not bat an eye, and him say something really sweet, even if it was sort of a back ended barb against Moonshade, you know. <laughs> stick together as long as you can and cherish every moment, you know, like it just, because of what was going on in my own life um, and, and, you know, feeling those feelings and having those experiences with my own family was particularly meaningful. Um, And, and again, I just bring that up because we were talking about what we as readers bring to the story and, and, you know, if, 
you know, 99% of other, 99.9% of other readers probably didn't have that reaction to that panel because they weren't going through what I went through in the same time frame that this came out. But it, I, I, I don't really have anything else to say other than it was really meaningful to me. And yet another thing that makes ElfQuest so special to me that, that these kinds of weird coincidences can happen and that Wendy and Richard through this, you know, the story through this, you know, a silly comic book can communicate things that are just so powerful and deeply, deeply meaningful on a personal level. Um, the only thing that we didn't touch on is, well, there's two things that I had left. One is very simple, not really worth a big discussion, but um, seeing Auric actually be present and not just immediately back into sort of an egg trance yeah. was kind of nice. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, seeing that Tamane has a confidant on some level was kind of neat, too. I mean, I'm sure she's she has deeper conversations with Sava, but um, we've not seen those on camera. So getting to see her, you know, like her conversation with Oric is totally different than her conversation. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering with... if that New Blood story um, about Egg where he encounters Tamane within the the egg itself uh, or her spirit or what have you um i wonder if that actually did occur you know and if that listen ryan i can only handle one ancient elf quest story told by other people (laughs) being like woven back in here at a time and we talked to punchen like let's just save that for next issue. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll see if there how this relationship unfolds. This this yeah. friendship between the two of them. In which case, we can discuss that. Particular yes, issue more <laughs> you're right. No, I mean that's I, yeah. Um, I, I don't know what to say about that other than let's wait and see what happens. Well, but um, here's something I wanted to talk about. Getting back to Cutter, um, this is the issue where we finally get the. Um, sort of not the reveal but the the teaser image is incorporated into the story mm-hmm. that teaser image from a few years ago of cutter's freak out um not only is it the cover image it's also a panel within the issue itself mm-hmm. so one of the things that uh wendy said when that teaser image first came out is to to look for what he's missing and so I was expecting that we would be told directly what he's missing in this <laughs> issue, but we're not. Yes, we are. What? What is he missing? It's New Moon's hilt. Okay. Okay. At least, right. at least that's what I think. Okay. Now, I have no idea. See, no, no I, one. I suggested that a while back that that's what he's missing in that picture is New Moon. So he's got the sword, but he doesn't have the hilt. But what significance does that have? Well, I I don't know, but I, and here's why I think it's New Moon. Because it's not in your face, mm-hmm. but if you pay attention, it's very clear that he drops the hilt and Skyways picks it up. And you see it in Sky Skyways picks it up and puts it in his belt. Like he drops the sword, yeah. but then he grabs the sword and he leaves the hilt and then he runs off like a maniac into the woods. Um but actually let me let me flip through here because on the cover, you don't see New Moon at all. No. You don't. So, so maybe I'm wrong because that's the image that Wendy was saying. Um, what is he missing? Right. And so, oh, but what that, that makes sense because okay, he's he's missing. Oh, but you're saying like maybe the sword itself? Yeah. So when I, I, read the... I, I was thinking it might have something to do with the key in the sword. 
Right. I don't know in what way, but that was what I was thinking um, up until this point. And now it seems like you're right. It's New Moon's um, scabbard or the hilt, right? Oh, that's right. Scabbard is the scabbard. Right yeah, because isn't yeah. the hilt the the like cross guard? Part? Yeah. Or something. I don't something. Know, not a yeah sword yeah. expert, but um yeah if, obviously <laughs> yeah yeah um no you're you're totally right the hilt right is yeah. part of like the handle um the scabbard is what I meant but um yeah so I'm looking at the page right now you know he he sort of brandishes new moon at Lita and she calls him out on it and yeah. he drops it and then yeah and he he dropped the the scabbard back in. Yeah, he dropped it back in the palace. You don't see him drop it. You just see him with it in his, in his hand. And then the next panel, it's not. And then right after he, Lita calls him out and, you know, he picks the sword back up. You see Skyways running in with the scabbard tucked in his belt. And then in every other panel that you see Skywise, it's sort of like it's there, like prominently featured. You can see it. Um, you know, he's holding it and yeah. everything. So, so that's what made me think that that's what it was. But now that you've pointed out that in the in the cover image which was the teaser image from several years ago that wendy said look at what's missing there's no sword in it at all Mm -hmm. so maybe that is it the other thing that i'm just thinking is the thing that's missing Mm -hmm. in this picture Mm -hmm. and this is going very deep i guess and not very obvious but the thing that's missing is cutter's sense of self yeah but that's not I I agree, but that's not uh, like visually from the right. teaser. You okay. never right. be able to. So I'm getting to make that distinction, right? Yeah, yeah. I, it, I, like I, I, it has to be something visual, uh, like a, an object of some sort. So that's right. why I think it is. It's new moon or new moon scabbard. And then I'm looking through the issue here, and if you go to page um, thir- thirteen, I think. Uh, Skywise is holding the scabbard, and he specifically mm-hmm. says, "Cutter, Cutter tore off New Moon's scabbard, vanished. He's never done anything like this." And then right. a few panels later, he's he's still holding it, like it's very uh, prominent in right. these scenes. So uh, I don't know. That, I mean, I'm that's, thinking like, yeah. but, but what particular importance does the scabbard play? And yeah, no, no, that be important. No clue. But that, those are all the reasons that um, I thought that uh, that it was the scabbard, or maybe it's just the sword in general. And then in the actual telling of the story, you know, he ditches the scabbard and takes the sword with him. But Wendy was talking generally when she made that comment a few years ago about what's missing. Um, again, we'll just have to wait and see. But um, I'm wondering if it's you know getting back into this sort of symbolic and metaphysical type conversation we were having earlier like if the sword sort of represents cutter mm-hmm. or or represents tam it's the key no no no. Wait, and well, okay. then the scabbard would be cutter's body which the sword fits into right 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 yeah something maybe along those lines? okay yeah maybe you're onto something there because um i definitely think that with everything in final quest we all need to be thinking again not just sort of simple adventure story plot but like what else could it be in the bigger metaphysical symbolic thing? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of interpretation. And so, yeah, I mean, what you just said sounds kind of amazingly applicable to the situation, right? So if you think of 
if you think of the scabbard as, you know, cutter, right? His body, right? Which is clearly his own physical body. And then you think of the sword maybe as his spirit, which he is part of Timane. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe not. But something about the key being in it. Right. Um, all right. You so know now... what I feel like when I'm reading this? It's like I'm... Are you taking like... crazy pills? <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, no, I feel like I feel like I'm putting together a a puzzle, a very big puzzle, but I'm I'm putting it together through a fog, and I can't really see the full picture yet, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I can't see all of the pieces, but I can I can feel the pieces through the fog. Yeah, and as I I fit them into place, the the picture becomes clearer. Mm-hmm. The fog starts to dissipate, but that's mm-hmm. kind of what I feel like while I'm reading this. Like it feels like there's puzzle pieces, and I I can barely grasp what where they fit. Mm-hmm. But I can feel them. I totally feel the same way, and you know I feel like sometimes the those puzzle pieces are sitting flat out in front of my nose, and I don't even see them until like six issues later or I don't know, maybe six years later um, Yeah, you know, with the way that this has been that, that I'm, I'm, it's really sinking in how much stuff has been alluding to what we learned in this, in this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, like this is part of the fun, right? This is why we do this podcast. This is why, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly chattering about this stuff online. It's, I mean, there's, that's what's fun about this. And I don't, again, need to know every single answer in the moment. I kind of like being in the dark and feeling uncomfortable and not really knowing where the hell this is going and wondering how this is all going to mesh together. And at some, at some level, you know, I have to have faith in Wendy and Richard and, and I do. And so I'm in it for the long haul and, you know, it's probably going to challenge some of my notions about ElfQuest, like I was saying at the very beginning, but so be it, right? Does that, I don't know. That's a hallmark of a, of a good story to me. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so, so yeah. speaking of which, one thing that, um, that we didn't kind of dive into when we were first talking about all this and, um, and kind of trying to understand and wrap our minds around this cutter to main Tam thing. Yeah. Is this. Okay. Um, and this isn't really sort of a well thought out thought. So if I ramble for a second, bear with me. No, go for it. Um, I'm just thinking, you know, Cutter is freaking out, rightfully so, over this revelation that he's never been him, right? That he's been this other being that he always thought was separate from him. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was just thinking that, you know, Cutter has a separate physical body. And this the part of the spirit that separated out from Tumane, which, which is kind of like the male part of it, right? You know, this yeah. sort of idea that in each of us, we have male and female aspects and, you know, in the real world, you know, one or the other tends to dominate, but not always. Right. And so in ElfQuest in, with this thing with Tumane and Tam, you know, it's, it's, it's very clearly exploring again, this sort of mythological, metaphysical, symbolic idea that, each of us has a male and a female aspect and in Cutter and Timane's case, like they kind of separated. Right. So mm-hmm. that aspect of Timane's spirit went into the body that 
um, that, you know, sort of formed when Joyleaf and, and Bearclaw recognized and made it and all that good stuff, right? Yeah. I guess I'm just thinking that on some level, mm-hmm. so what, right? Cutter is still Cutter. You know, even, you know, he's, he's, he's got his own body. He's got his own experiences that he has had in his 500 years or whatever that currently, you know, it's not a two-way street between, you know, Timane, the original, and the aspect of her that is Tam, right? You know, Cutter doesn't know what Timane is thinking in the same way that she knew what he was thinking and experiencing or whatever. So, like, on some level... Even if you can say that they their, their spirits have the same origin and are part of the same thing, he's still Cutter. He's still an individual, in at least in a certain way. And so I, I I just I'm wondering if the rest of this journey for Cutter is trying to come to like figuring out that that you know what like yes I am part of this bigger being and it does make me special it does make me you know sort of the equivalent of, of Elfquest's chosen one that you see in so many mythologies but at the end of the day he's still Cutter like I don't know so I again maybe I'm rambling but no I I uh, get what you're saying yeah um I do think that that's going to play a big role in the rest of the series is him sort of coming to terms with who he is Mm -hmm. um and that you know he is still an individual despite being part of a bigger whole like the smaller truth within the larger one of the things i was wondering though about this is and this raises a whole slew of other questions about elf spirits uh what causes an elf spirit to form within the physical form like or to manifest like is it at recognition or like did this portion of tam that is in cutter the physical body of cutter did it replace what should have been there right yeah or what would have been the the spirit that would have been there yeah and if not then where do elf spirits come from yeah, you know this. this you know what I mean? issue, yeah, this issue has has prompted a lot of uh, discussion on that that point um, amongst fans, and I think it's a totally legit question. I I, I think that w- it didn't even that thought never entered my brain when I was reading it, and based on based on what I know of what we have seen so far at ElfQuest, I don't know that. Wendy and Richard were making a statement about you know when does life begin or whatever, right? No, I think, no. I'm- I think I think the, here's here's how I interpreted it. It was mm-hmm. v- very simple, very like what we saw that at the moment of conception, the the the, the Tam part of Tamain, it what was the spirit that got brought into the body, and that there was it's not like you know there's been people who've been like oh well what happened to the spirit that would have been there did Tamain kill it did did she wipe it out from existence and all that and I, and I just don't think that that is the point of any of it. I think. That maybe people are maybe are overthinking that aspect of it a little bit. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'll be wrong and we'll see something different happen. Um, I just think I, I, I'm taking it at face value. Like the, you know, all spirit is one spirit, you know, all that, you know, metaphysical stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I just, I you know, when Cutter was made, the the spirit that 
he got was was Tam from Tim A. That's as that's as far as I need to go into it. That's that's just all there is to it. Yeah. yeah. And had she not been there in that exact instant, then yeah, whether a spirit is created from scratch or it comes from this energy pool that these elves are connected to that fuels the palace. I don't know. I, I mean, I, yeah. I, I, this is another Pike moment for me. Mm-hmm. I, I, my brain does not need to go there and wrap wrap itself around all of that, unless yeah. that is where Wendy and Richard want to take the story. Right. Um, so, I mean, to me, it's uh, on some level, it's obsessing about a detail that, that might not even be there. Um, it's, it's cool though, that uh, in the cutter, to main's cutter form, this is getting confusing. <laughs> I'm trying to find the right way to like make this as clear as possible. When Tamain self-shapes into her Cutter form, she looks like Cutter, but you can tell that like there's a subtle difference. Oh my god, totally. I'm so glad you brought that up. This is, I mean, not just the fact that Tamain Cutter ha- doesn't have face fur, but there's some other quality to that form that sets this to main cutter apart from our cutter <laughs> from tam cutter it's so hard to... right? yeah. I, totally totally uh, yeah. totally right? it's very very subtle but it's distinct and um yes. yeah that's really uh you know that's again um a testament to Wendy's talent that she's able to so subtly differentiate these two beings from one another despite the fact that it's essentially the same yeah person i yeah i had the same reaction to that and not really even on the first read i read it a few times and then i noticed that i was like yeah they are exactly the same but they look kind of totally different (laughs) yeah like it's there's some ethereal quality to to main cutter that's diff that's slightly different than the sort of earthy, yeah, more more in his physical body, Tam Cutter. I'm looking at it right now, and I think you know, there's the obvious things again, like the lack of the the face fur, sideburn type things. Um, but it's so the much chops. the mutton chops, yeah. Um, again, now that we're talking about it and focusing on it, here here are the things that I think separate them: super subtle things like posture. Mm-hmm and facial facial expression mm-hmm. like the the Tamain cutter is serene and open um and and, and frankly a, a touch more feminine which would make a lot yeah. of sense right hmm. and the, the 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 tam cutter understandably so you know his body language is you know tense and you know, sort of full of energy, like there's no, no serenity whatsoever. Um, and on the last page of, well, the last few panels of their interaction, he doesn't have that sense of, uh, you know, sort of energy that he does in the first part of the scene. Um, but what he has is like resignation, you know, he's sort of slumped over and his brain, you know, he just, he's almost like morose um, until, of course, he snaps and freaks out and dashes off yeah. 
you know, growling and wielding his sword to who knows what, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, well, we see him in the last page, right? He's completely lost his shit, right? Yeah, yeah. For lack of a better term. He's cracked. Well, he's snapped. He's gone nuts. Yeah, speaking so, of that last page, uh-huh. um, how awesome <laughs> is that last page? Like, I, like, the, the inking on that page, specifically on Cutter, I and mean, we, yeah. so, so this is Wendy's spinach inking of your mm-hmm. coming, coming back in full effect. Definitely. Right. And so for those that don't know, you know, if you look at the early elf quest, you know, the original quest and you saw some of it in Kings of the Broken Wheel siege, not so much because Wendy didn't ink most of it, but you know, Wendy, especially in the eighties, late seventies, eighties had this very heavy are you there? Yeah, sorry, I just coughed. Oh, okay. It, it was like a huge cacophony on my end. Um, Wendy had this inking style that was very, you know, sort of lots of black, lots of heavy cross-hatching, very Bernie Wrightson-esque that was very popular at that time. Um, and, you know, her style has evolved beyond that. And she's actually written about the fact that you know, she she kind of calls that that inking style spinach, like a lot of like just sort of scriggly, scraggly stuff thrown in there. Um, and um, and she doesn't really do do her art in that way anymore. But the fact that she did that in this panel to me is just so awesome, a because I am an unabashed lover of Wendy's inking and being a, you know, a child of the 80s. Yeah, as far as sort of growing up and 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 discovering ElfQuest, you know, I I just I love that style, and that's never going to change. And I get that it's not Wendy's style anymore, and all that, and I think that's a good thing. But getting to see a little bit of it here was like the perfect way to end this issue. It was like a little, just a little sort of throwback to classic elf quest original quest and you know for all the fans that love that style of wendy's just to see that a little bit was was just nice yeah i i fully agree with you i um i really like this type of inking and uh i'm in agreement too obviously like um wendy's style has changed and i think that's a good thing um but yeah it's nice to see sort of that um homage to what came before and this particular last splash page sort of embodies that style and it's really effective for this scene too because totally that that type of inking it really lends itself to sort of that extreme of emotion that cutter's experiencing right now mm-hmm. and I, I mean what do you think is happening here he's just completely gone insane so he's just running away trying to escape himself and he has no intention whatsoever of where he's going or anything. He's just wildly running through the woods. Yeah. I mean, that's my take on it. I mean, he's just like a complete nutter at this point. Just yeah, you know, yeah. running like a maniac, slashing it at, at everything. I mean, the poor guy has just completely lost his entire sense of self, which is even worse than it would be for us because elves have so much more. They're so much more in touch with their true selves because they're telepathic and, you know, they're, they're, they can tap into their spirit in a way that, you know, real life human beings generally don't do. And so, Mm -hmm. 
you know, I think like whatever he is feeling, like whatever you would feel if you found out that you weren't who you thought you were and that you were actually your like 16 times great grandmother right? or 10 times, yeah, yeah. nine times, whatever, how whatever you think you would be feeling in that moment, he's feeling it probably about 20 times worse. But, you know, this reminds me, too, of uh, here's another callback to an older issue. <laughs> but uh, when Skywise um, in the summer special. Mm-hmm. When he when he went when crazy. he went crazy yeah. and and Cutter had to go find him and sort of bring him back to himself. I'm sort of anticipating this the maybe the same scenario played out, but in reverse with Skyway sort of bringing Cutter back to himself. We'll see if that's how it plays out. But um, Skywise is obviously part of this heart circle of um, Cutter's family and and closest friends who have. Mm-hmm gone out to uh to bring him back home to find him um along with Dreon, who sort of um volunteered i guess for the position mm-hmm. uh and i i'm wondering about that too i'm wondering if he's what's up with that guy there's there yeah. might be more going on with uh, i here's my take on okay. Dreon in relation yep. to what you just said mm-hmm I have no flipping clue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I really don't. Like, he hums, he sings, he's in tune with nature, he's big and muscly, and he's got a pony. That's what I know about Dreyon. Yep. Beyond that, I, I mean, I have, no, I have no idea. I have no idea. He's obviously, like, they wouldn't have introduced him if he didn't have a role to play. And he is joining this band of what is otherwise Cutter's deepest and closest, you know, friends and, and family. Um, and then, so the fact that he's he's going along with them, sort of, and 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 they made it a a, a point to say that he's he's going to join their quest. Um, let me find the panel. It's something to the effect of um, he's doing it like impassively, like he doesn't have any yeah. like real emotional connection, or I don't know. I, I don't know what that means. Like it was actually kind of weird to me to read that because the elves are emotional creatures and I don't mean in like you know the no. idea of emotional being like what we used to call you know like back in the in the 50s like women they get hysterical you know like I don't mean that um I just mean he, I don't know he just doesn't have that emotional reaction the, the the connection exactly yeah and like um so I I I really don't I have no idea like whatever it is that they're up to meeting Wendy and Richard with Dreyon. Uh, I'm at a complete loss. I don't, I don't really know. Um, here, here it says like in a cool clasp of the newcomer's hand, Lita senses a willingness to help, but without involvement or concern, which mm. like I, it, it both like what the, the best word that I could summarize all that is, is that he's impassive. Um, and I don't know why, because elves are not generally, like that you know they're gonna have oh. a reaction they're gonna feel they're gonna you know connect emotionally or spiritually and Dryon just seems in a way i'll tell you what um he kind of i'm, I'm getting a vibe kind of similar to timane out of him mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. again impassive like he kind of has a gentle subtle smile but otherwise, he doesn't have any other expressions. 
He doesn't have, you know, a big fat grin. We've not seen him get angry. And, and you know, granted, we've only just met him and he doesn't hasn't had a lot of screen time. But um, I mean, he had that like quirky look on his face when the call first went out. Um, but other than that, he just is this sort of very aloof, distant, separate character that I well, just don't know what he's what, what, what he's going to do. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it, there's been discussion about him being neuroatypical, and uh, I've brought this up in, I think, the last episode that you know he sort of maybe is like, um, an el like the elf version of someone with autism. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, I can see that being a valid sort of interpretation of this character because he he his character traits and his personality traits sort of embody a lot of what people experience on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have no idea if that's the intention here with the characterization of Dreon, but mm-hmm. um, like I can see that as being a valid interpretation from other readers who have seen it that way. Right. So, you know, which is which would be really interesting and is sort of an interesting take. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I, you know, we'll have to see what happens with his character if we learn more about him, which I'm assuming we will. We'll get maybe some more backstory, maybe a deeper understanding of who he is and, uh, you know, what his motivations are. And uh, it'll be interesting to see and and what part he's playing in this, you know, to say that he's what is it? What is the direct quote about him going along with them? Uh, let's see. Let me pull it up again. Uninvolved um, and without involvement or concern. Yeah, like that's a strange way to sort of describe somebody who would go along with a rescue party or right. search party. Yeah, like why is he doing it then? You yeah, know, like, like if he, if he's not concerned and he he's well, you go not back involved, then why would he bother? You go back to the top of that page where uh-huh. you know where he's first kind of brought up in this issue and, you know, they're all kind of freaking out. And Tumaine is saying, you know what, listen, like don't go after cutter with magic. Cause it's just going to make him explode because of what I just yeah. dumped on him. Like, mm-hmm. just like find him by your own simple, smaller truth within the larger truth ways of, you know, wolf rider tracking and hunting and, you know, kind of reach out to him that way because you're going to break him otherwise. Um, and then Dreon gets brought in, because he's just kind of chilling with the wolves and they're howling and they're just being part of the way. And it says something's askew. The singers seem to intone. Oh, something askew. The singers meaning Dreon and the wolves. Mm-hmm. The singers seem to intone can be set right, but only through the primal purity of the way. So that has to be a clue. Right? Like, Mm-hmm. Dreon maybe is going to be some sort of agent of bridging this this idea of the smaller truth and the larger truth and the way and the stars and I don't know I'm I'm totally oh that's right really uh, I didn't um, I didn't consider that but I think you're right I think he might be an integral key to maybe bringing Cutter back from the brink of madness. He's not kinda, even the brink from madness. Right. He's definitely mad at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. He lost it. But yeah. yeah, I mean, like, like you said, I mean, he, 
they didn't Wendy and Richard didn't just think him up and toss him in. He he's obviously got a bigger role yeah. and a purpose. Otherwise, there's more, they there's more to this guy than yeah. They wouldn't have brought brought him in. So, um, speaking of which, I'm just gonna like pine for two seconds about those damn tree elves. I want to see them. <laughs> I was you thinking know? about that the other day. Yeah. I have yeah, I, I, I actually have the panel of like the three of them with the shadows in the back from their first appearance. Yeah. As my um my wallpaper on my phone. So every time of course I do, right? <laughs> every, yeah. every time I pick up my phone to make a phone call to, you know, my mom or my dad or a work call, I see them. And so <laughs> I want You're to constantly know. Constantly reminded of, of yes, I, elves and how frustrated you are that they haven't been. No, I mean, as we said in in a previous episode, I, I absolutely am a, like reveling in the fact that Wendy and Richard drop the bomb of their existence, and then we're like, yeah, we'll get to them eventually, and haven't like uttered a single word about them since. Right, um, and they know that we're all oh, like totally, you know, yeah, going crazy. And, trying to figure out what the hell they are. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, uh, like we talked about before, it's just like Two Edge. Two Edge got mentioned in what issue? What seven? Seven. The or original eight. quest. Mm-hmm. And and then you know we got a few whispers out of him four or five issues later. It wasn't until like almost like I don't know eight or ten issues after he was first introduced. And remember that those issues only came out every three or four months. Yeah. So you're talking years, years between this mysterious, weird, strange character was introduced before we finally got to know what was up. Mm-hmm. I, I I think the peenies are pulling another two edge on us with the with the tree elves. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Which again, yeah. I, I I love I love that, and so I don't want to know next issue. I'm just going to say for the record because I have a feeling that we're not going to know next issue. So imagine um, they don't show up at all. In the rest of the series, <laughs> that, that would just be unusually cruel. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we have to like not end on that note because we got to talk about something exciting and positive. Because that notion, it will just be too much for me. Um, but that was actually Dreon was the last thing that I had on my checklist. Um, yeah, the only thing else that I had is just. Um, Tamane experiencing sort of like a, a sickness mm-hmm. uh, when Cutter pulled away from her and essentially cut her off from his own experience because apparently she's been experiencing everything that Cutter has this entire time. Well, at least since the end of the original quest when she kind of regained her form. I mean, yeah. if, I, if I'm reading what she says correctly at the very beginning of the issue, um, you know... You know, she was Tamane, she was in wolf form, she got trapped in the pit, and she actually was there. You know, I always assumed that she had recently been captured when we first found her there in the original quest. But obviously, she had actually been there for decades. And clearly, any other wolves that the trolls had caught and put in there, you know, they probably were just catching them and feeding the pit periodically, you know, through traps or whatever for a while, and, you know, I, I, I totally buy that they wouldn't notice, like, any one individual wolf that didn't die. What were they eating? I hope they weren't eating uh, go-backs, because that... <laughs> <laughs> they would have to be a lot is, of go-backs. Is Tamane a cannibal? 
No, I mean, it says, I mean, she says, like, the trolls fed us very little. So clearly they were feeding them just enough to keep them alive so that when a go-back fell in, they would be eaten, you know, they would be eaten. And you know what? You're Now that you say that, I mean, there's no way that Tame didn't eat go-backs. Are you serious? Think about it. That was the whole point of the. Of the okay, so now she needs to be added to the uh, the Halloween list. <laughs> no, okay, I, I take that back. Yes, maybe that particular trap was, you know, that uh, presumably two edge builds, or maybe the trolls built it themselves. The trolls obviously had figured out a way to trap, you know, wolves or other wildlife to throw down there to be sort of their gatekeeper and. You know, and and you know, I mean, the Gobacks from the very get-go talked about the fact that the frozen mountain trolls riddled, you know, the slopes of the mountains with with various pitfalls and other traps. So yeah, yeah. You know. Let's just assume that they were eating the the stags, the reindeers. <laughs> I don't want to think of well, eating listen, Gobacks. Listen, I mean, the wolf rider wolves eat their bodies. It's no different than that. It's just recycling. <laughs> yeah, but that's Tamane is not really well. I don't know. Just the idea of her having eaten gobacks doesn't really <laughs> sit too well with me. Listen, we're all just meat bags at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I don't know, but but um, what, I don't even remember what we were talking about on that that train. Um, um I don't know. Oh, just that you know, Tamane. Oh yeah, cutting off. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. So yeah. Timane was in the pit for all those years. And it wasn't until, you know, she was near death that she was able to extract her elf spirit or her, you know, first comer spirit out of the wolf body um, in that near death state, which at which point, you know, chances are she would have just gone on. Right. Yeah. But yeah. she happened to, as we learned, in, again, in the original quest that recognition attracts interested spirits who make what's the line visions more potent and magic more power. I don't know. I forget what it is, but yeah, something like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a line that Timane said herself. Mm -hmm. So she's attracted to her descendants, the wolf riders in the moment of bear claw and joy Lee's recognition. And this chunk of her, you know, basically breaks off because maybe like intuitively or instinctively her spirit knew that, her physical body was about to die and then the spirit would go away. And this is a way of her staying in physical form by mm. putting her a piece of herself into this new life that just got formed. And, you know, lo and behold, that apparently inspired her in wolf form to keep fighting for what, 30 years until Cutter ended up finding her there. Yeah. Wow. And she was oblivious to that that inspiration until she finally gets back in the palace because of Cutter's quest and is restored to her elf form through probably the part the power of the palace. I don't think she would have been able to return to elf form and under any other circumstance at that point after spending ten thousand years as a wolf without mm -hmm. you know completely cut off from the power of the palace, which was dormant. Right. And then so and she says like she didn't really realize any connection until then. And at that point, if you remember, she's in rap stuff. And so she spends the next however, what, three years in rap stuff 
contemplating the scroll, finally back in elf form. She's realizing her connection to Cutter, and now she's got this. She's realizing that Cutter is her, and she's you know uh, perceiving what he is thinking and experiencing, and then proceeds to do so all the way through the ten thousand year wait, um, up until this point where she finally reveals to him. So that's that's how I'm understanding reading it and having reread it a few times. It also makes me, you know, we were talking about the scenes at the beginning of this issue, um, you know, Ray explaining how spirits, all spirits are one spirit and, um, or one spirit, even if you separate it, is still the same. And all of those other reference points to older elf quest stories. Yep. This also makes me think of Kings of the Broken Wheel when Tamane emerges from the palace back in wolf form. Now she's a white wolf and she immediately walks up to Skywise mm-hmm. because she's recognized him. Yeah. Her male entity recognized him. Mm-hmm. Right. And so now her female aspect is coming out of the palace and immediately, of course it makes sense now. Why would she pick Skywise? It wasn't just because he lost Star Jumper. It wasn't because he was looking for a wolf friend. It was because she recognized him. Yeah. And that was that was in the early 90s. Yeah. What else do these people have in store for us? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, if you can go back that far and like you start seeing the um Yeah. The hints that were laid out at that yeah, you know? and I mean, speaking of recognition, she says to Skyways here or to Cutter, he's talking to her at the very beginning, and he mm-hmm. says, um, "Well, he first he asks her about uh, whether or not Lita knows, and she says she knows Tam, our beloved life mate." So then he asks about Skywise, and she says, "Our soul's brother Far also recognized Tam, but only." By joining skins with Tamane, may his unspoken yearning for a child of recognition be answered. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, so there we get kind of the fulfillment of, you know, whether or not they're, or an explanation for whether or not they're going to have a child or, you know, like what the status of recognition is for Skywise and Tamane. So it's, they are recognized. It's just not in a way that we've ever seen it. Right. And actually I'm glad you brought that up too, because that's another, this is another sort of deep stuff and sort of like a nut to chew on in relation to everything else that we have seen and observed and assumed in the past. So here's my interpretation of all this, right? So, Cutter and Tamane are the same spirit, but two different individuals, really, when it, when, when it comes down to it. They have different personalities. They have different physical forms, right? So they're still unique individuals. They just share a soul. And that is what Tamane very carefully explains to Cutter. She says, we are one, Right. We're a single being like no other of our kind. And she makes the distinction between, you know, elves that recognize and they share their soul names, wolf riders in that, in that instance, and that some of them have such deep love that their souls blend, right? So that would be Cutter and Lita, Cutter and Skywise, um, but that this is different than recognition and it's unique. Like no other elves have this. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really important to understanding this. So... Then going back to Skywise, what that means is that, like she says, Skywise and Lita 
both recognize Tam, right? In Lita's case, since Tam is the male aspect, you know, both spiritually and physically, they were able to reproduce. And, you know, that's the goal of recognition. But in Skywise's case, he recognized the male version and, you know, just, you know, parts don't add up to make a baby, right? So Mm -hmm. in order to um, have that aspect of this soul, Timane, Tam, take recognition to its fruition, they needed the other side, the other physical side, which is Timane and her body. Right. And, but, yeah. but, okay, right. So you with me on that? That's how I'm, yes. I'm reading all this, right? But then I'm, I'm making notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the wrench in it all mm-hmm. is what she says about, you know, well, well, two things. One, this revelation that Skywise has had an unspoken yearning to have a child of recognition. Um, whereas, you know, we've always heard of Skywise. Skywise has paid a lot of lip service to, I don't want to recognize. Yeah. I don't need no kids. And then, you know, then he had Yun and he realized, oh, okay, this is actually kind of a cool thing. Um, and he said, well, in dream time, and then I can't remember if it was this issue or maybe it was the last issue where, oh no, it was the last issue where mm-hmm. he finally joins with Tamane. I was actually just rereading that the other day. And he says something to the effect of, um, you know, I've had this unspoken yearning. I always thought it was for the stars, but I realized that it was for you and Mm. something along those lines. And so maybe that's kind of what she's referencing that maybe deep down, like Skywise did yearn to, you know, pass a bit of his spirit on by having, you know, a a kid or whatever. But the, the, the wrench that I was talking about a second ago was, you know, recognition is generally compulsory for elves Mm -hmm. unless you get, you know, a powerful will like Ember and the help of two powerful healers like Lita and Mender to sort of take away the biological urge like Mender and, and Tyr did. Yeah. But Timane is saying that Skywise has this you know, unspoken yearning to have a child of recognition and that they're recognized so they can do that. But that that special joining of all Timane and Far have already savored or might savor is up to him. What does that mean? Like Timane, I guess is a self shaper. And, and that's related to healing. So she could probably control whether or not she gets pregnant. Maybe that's what she means. And so Skywise has to be completely ready and committed to the idea of, you know, deliberately having a child that he knows about and raising it and all that in order for her to conceive. Well, I, my take on it is that because he recognized Tam, there's no real need for recognition to be followed through to the point of conceiving a child because it's not that it's recognition, but it's not that kind of recognition. Okay. Okay. But because of what we now know about Tamane and Cutter sharing the same soul, um, the option now is there for, that recognition to be followed through to its fruition. Okay. Like you said. So it's not... To conceive a child, but there's no, like, need to do that. So ultimately, if it's a choice, and Tamane is leaving that choice to Skywise, if he wants to, then she will 
join with him and fulfill that recognition in order to conceive a child, but it's not necessary for this type of recognition that Skywise and Tam experienced. I like that interpretation much better than my over analytical one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Did that make any sense? It, like, make, it makes total sense. And it's very, <laughs> right, it's much, it's a much simpler yeah. explanation than what I was attempting to, you know, decipher there. Well, it's, you know what, you know what mine was is, is what I've learned over the years that we fans tend to, sometimes I think we do get over analytical and we try to start splitting hairs that maybe are not there. I mean, I think, you know, the, the conversation about, well, what happened to the spirit that would have been in Qatar? Did Timain, you know, annihilate it? And what does that mean? I think that's an example of what I'm talking about, where I think sometimes we do overthink some stuff where we should just take yeah, it. That's part of the fun, though. Well, it, a, a, absolutely. Absolutely. A thousand percent. And I am guilty. I do agree with you, though. I think I, I agree with you to that point. Like, you can overanalyze everything, you know, to yeah. the point where not fun anymore but and i think that's the key. double-edged sword yeah i think that's the key is um you could overanalyze it to death and then be frustrated because <laughs> that's not what wendy and richard did or meant to do and it was never part of it and you just made it up because you were overanalyzed it mm-hmm. and then you were disappointed that it didn't turn out that way so it's a slippery slope sometimes and sometimes yeah. you do just have to take things at a simple kind of face value and your explanation is that it makes perfect sense that you know the, the the procreative part of recognition doesn't really apply because Cutter recognized Tam, the male aspect of Timmy, and so it, it's a different kind of recognition. It, it wasn't; it was more souls connecting than it was, um, you know, to make a baby like most other recognitions are. And yeah. you know, Timmy, Far, Far, and Tam recognized. Right, Far and Tam. Right, but um, and that also preserves sort of the uniqueness of that recognition, right? We've never seen two elves of the same sex recognize. And part of me was a little bit sad to think that, well, maybe Skywise only recognized Cutter because of this female part, but your take on it kind of preserves that. And I like that, you know, it's Cutter or Tam and Far recognized. And recognition... And it was a one-off, and yeah. there was there was no need for the Maybe child to be conceived because it it couldn't happen physically. But because Tam is part of this greater whole of Tamain spirit, um, there is now the option for that physical part of recognition to be fulfilled if there's a choice made on the part of Skywise if he wants to do it. That sounds like a very, very peeny way of explaining all that. I think you've tapped into their, you know, their thought process. So I'm going with that until I hear otherwise. (laughs) The the last thing I want to say um, about this issue and about, you know, sort of the concepts that have been explored in this issue um, is, this is going to get really heavy now, is the nature of mortality and death. And I think actually part of why Cutter is freaking out to the extent that he is, is because he's contemplating his own mortality and what it means for him now when he dies. Well, yeah, or because, lack thereof, right? Well, yeah, because he, well, his physical body will die. But what does it mean for his spirit now? Because he had this notion of what would happen. 
and now that's been completely upended. I mean, what does it mean? Does it mean that when he dies, he doesn't have a spirit that retains its the personality aspects of Cutter, like all the other elves? Um, and it will instead, maybe, automatically, it will sort of become part of the whole of Tamain's spirit, and will be absorbed into it, and he'll lose that sort of the immortality of of himself in spirit form. Yeah, those are all really good and big questions um, that we can only speculate on until we see how it all plays out. But yeah, I mean, any of those things could be right. Like Cutter or Tam. Well, Cutter could be completely annihilated when he his body dies and his spirit rejoins the rest of it. You know, the male aspect rejoins the feminine aspect, female aspect in Timane's physical body, right? And then yeah. their memories, then they, then that individuality that I was talking about that currently exists that actually allowed Cutter to separate from Timane, right? That would go away and, and it, you know, Cutter would still exist, but it would be much more connected in one spot with Timane. So you'd have like hunting on the back of Night Runner memories sitting right next to you know shape changing into like an eight-armed you know space ape right (laughs) yeah yeah right whereas now those two things are still distinct um right so but you know i'm thinking about like um joyleaf and bearclaw we saw their spirits last issue and they are despite being spirits, they retain aspects of their personality that they had in their physical form. Right. Well, some right? Like do. They're still, yeah, yeah, some do. But the Wolf Riders in particular seem to, whereas the Immortals seem to be able to go back into the spirit pool where it seems like they become one of a whole and then they can sort of come out of it again. And right. Like Kavi, for instance, right? Yeah. Like she's mm-hmm. still Kavi, but she's just a spirit. But then she can go back into this spirit cool um but uh like so does that mean that that won't happen for cutter like he won't be like bear claw and joy leaf he won't be cutter just in spirit form you know and so for him to maybe start to think about those things like i can understand why yeah that particular aspect would sort of drive you insane like imagine your entire life knowing that when you die your spirit will still carry on and it will still be you well, imagine now finding out that actually that's not the case. When you die, yeah. spirit's not going to be you. You're going to be and, part of something else, and you're going to lose who you were. And I think that's the crux of it, right? I mean, that would send anybody bonkers. Um, yeah. And I think that that's exactly what Cutter has to chew on and deal with and come to some you know, peace with at, you know, at some level, whatever that looks like. Um, like, now know. that I, I think of that, I would be pretty pissed off at Tamane too I like he doesn't actually seem like he's pissed off directly at her here he mm. he snaps and takes off but I would be angry if I've well guess what there's still 12 there's still 12 issues left so yeah <laughs> you know I mean I could see that very easily happening where um you know in his wild state that he does have a backlash and maybe it's even a physical backlash against her um you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but I can't, I can't imagine 
ElfQuest ending, you know, at least, you know, Cutter's hero's journey ending with the end of the final quest with him being completely obliterated. Like, I think there's going to be a resolution that might not be what any of us expect, but that that the characters themselves can have peace with. And that will, if we look at it again from, as we've been talking about this whole um, episode, from a bigger analytical picture and not just like what happens in the story, um, that it will, it will be satisfying, you know? All right. Well, I don't know what else we can say (laughs) to conclude that. Hi everyone. At this point in the conversation, we ran into some technical difficulties, so we decided this was the best time to end the call. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll be back soon with a very special episode in the new year. Thanks for listening. The music that you heard at the top of the podcast was a track called Hunting for Experience by Epicus from their album An Epic Journey. You can find music by Epicus and thousands of other artists royalty-free for your podcast or multimedia projects on jamendo.com. That's J-A-M-E-N-D-O dot com. Well, that's it for this episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. As always, you can join the discussions on ElfQuest.com, on Twitter at, at ElfQuest, or on any of several Facebook pages, including the official ElfQuest Facebook page and the ElfQuest Facebook fan page. Don't forget, you can read the entire ElfQuest back catalog at ElfQuest.com, along with tons of other great stuff like character bios, behind-the-scenes features, and more. The Final Quest is published by Dark Horse Comics, and you can get the latest issue of ElfQuest the minute it comes out at digital.darkhorse.com. Until next time, shade and sweet water.